0: Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and if you're on Patreon you might be listening to this episode early and ad free because uh, we have a new deal with our Patreon members. If you go to patreon.com slash Willosophy join for as little as a dollar a month. There are now 1,124 patrons on that page Uh, and donating $4,319 per month. We are on a drive to get to $5,000 per month. And if we do get to $5,000 per month, it will enable us to regularly put out a brand new episode on a Monday and then a catch-up episode with the previous guest on a Friday. So this week is a classic example of how that would work. On Monday, I had an episode with Jordan Raskopoulos. If you have not listened to that yet, I've been very lucky to have a very good run of guests recently. I mean, I always love the guests on this podcast, but it feels like we've been in a particular sweet spot. But this Jordan episode is a real standout, I think. So if you haven't had a listen yet, please go and check out the Jordan Raskopoulos episode from Monday. And then on a Friday, we'll do a catch-up episode with one of our previous guests, and this is an example of that. So Celia Picolas back on the show today, one of Australia's greatest stand-up comedians, comedic actresses, and uh, just a great mate of mine, somebody that I love to talk to, and uh, This was just a brilliant opportunity to catch up with Seals for a couple of hours. Please check out her show, All Talk, her stand-up show, All Talk. We actually speak about this um, towards the end of the podcast, but I was at the taping for her Amazon special, and I highly recommend that. And, of course, her brilliant TV show that she does with Luke McGregor called Rose Haven. Uh, Now, Rose Haven... You can find on ABC iView, of course, on the ABC if you're one of those people who watches free-to-air television at the time that it comes out. Uh, But I tend to watch it on ABC iView, uh, on the catch-up app that the ABC has. And I think that uh, Rosehaven is funnier now than it has ever been, uh, a better developed show than it has ever been. I've always loved the show. And again, Seals and I get into this during this chat. But uh, we recorded this about a week and a half ago. Uh, So just to put a little timestamp on it. Uh, Melbourne is still in lockdown and Celia is in the middle of that Melbourne lockdown. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Hope you really uh, love this one. I always love catching up with Celia. Big thank you to everybody who's supporting the show on Patreon. And of course, a big thank you to you guys if you're not supporting the show on Patreon as well. You're just a listener. Maybe you tell some friends about it. Maybe you pass it on. Maybe you rate and review it on the apps. All those things help. And I know that this is not necessarily a great financial time for everybody. So if you can't afford to support the show in a financial sense, then just support it in your listening sense and your passing it on sense and you're telling the person who was on the podcast that they did a really good job sense. Uh, If you like any of our other shows, you can go to tofop.com. Now, if you hit me up on Patreon, I will respond to every message that I'm sent on the Patreon page. But if you want to send a message to the podcast and you're not on Patreon, the best way to do that is go to tofop.com. Uh, there is a little feedback form on our website. So there's a, a all our shows there, Tofop, Fofop, Philosophy, and of course Two Guys One Cup, our AFL adjacent podcast. So basically we're going to try to put out 5 days of Tofop entertainment per week. So Monday brand new Philosophy, Tuesday will be a Fofop. So next week, um, Fofop is back for episode 300 with Dave Anthony. Dave Anthony returns to Fofop next week. And then, of course, Wednesday will be uh, Tofop, our traditional Wednesday release for Tofop. Uh, Thursday, Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL podcast. And then on Friday, a catch-up episode like this one that you're listening to right now with Celia Picola. So that'll be our five days a week. Uh, we need to get to the $5,000 a month to be able to afford to do those two velocity episodes per week. But... We are getting there. With your support, we are getting there, and I'm confident that we are going to get there. In fact, I am so confident I've added some extra levels for us to thro- uh, to uh, strive to get to once we get to 5,000 a month. So if you want to see what those aims and ambitions that I have for the show are, you can head over to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash philosophy, and check out all the levels that I have put in there. Some of them obviously dream levels that we will never ever get to but you know what in times like this it's good to dream hope you're all doing okay I know it seems like an empty and meaningless thing to say in the world that we currently live in I hope the podcast is making a bit of a difference no matter what life you're going through at the moment and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this one with Celia talk to you again soon Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and on brand new technology today. I'm using an app called Squadcast, which, uh, look, I, I did an episode with Osha Ginsberg recently and Osher is very technologically advanced when it comes to the world of podcasts. I'm still on my old recording device that I've been using for about 10 years and everybody else has moved into the modern world. And this is new app called Squadcast, where basically all the other person at the other end needs is uh, a microphone and they plug it in and allegedly I've pushed record on this recording and it will work and it'll be perfect and the guarantee was that I'll never lose another podcast. So those are very brave words to start a brand new podcast with. Really feel like I'm tempting fate but this is how the episode starts. This is a catch-up episode of Philosophy. This is what we started during this lockdown period. I started doing catch-up episodes with previous guests and now we've uh we've developed into in the downtime this is the great thing about having fuck all else to do we are now doing a brand new episode of the podcast on mondays if you're on the patreon page you can access that on a sunday ad free and then a catch-up episode with the previous guest on fridays and you can access that on the patreon page ad free on a thursday so you may be listening to this on patreon on a thursday or uh, for free on a Friday. This is how the podcast starts. I ask the guests who they are. So, who are you?
1: Well, I could say whoever the fuck I want because there's no way this podcast is making it. <laughs> 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 there is no chance that this is going to actually be recorded and released. But I, in in the the very in the very small hope that it does, I am Celia Piccola, returning guest.
0: I I imagine feels that um, this is the test of squad cast that they've been looking for they've had this app for a while they've been going well how can we you just come text? on and
1: say that i'm never gonna man, lose another podcast
0: let's get the man in who's lost more podcasts than anybody in the history of podcasting let's get him on and see if he can fuck up our technology
1: No, well, I'm, I'm happy to be here i'm happy to say just, just you and me just having a chat just for us and <laughs> um, <laughs> and also i did like i did like that you said to me just before we started that it is it, a monday and it's coming out on friday just for topicality and i'm like but is hilarious as if anything is going to change right well, like i'm in melbourne and i am um, i i cannot you could have told me it's Flearn's day i don't the days mean less than nothing at this point
0: well here's what i would say so, about the days is mm. i like to give people a mm-hmm. heads up because occasionally like i had russell howcroft for a catch-up episode and he was actually up mm-hmm. here visiting the area on holidays and he's from melbourne so the episode came out about four weeks after he had recorded the episode up here. Fair to say the world was very different when he was back yeah. in Melbourne in lockdown to when he was up here having a good time. So I'd like to say, <laughs> you know, so that you don't go, everything's getting great in Victoria, the numbers are going down and then yeah. by Friday it's all fucked again. It
1: is weird. Having said that, as much as it's a lot of the same, living in this weird same vortex, it is also a world that changes everything. In an instant, as well, you know, with every conference, as much as it feels like we've been living the same groundhog day for twenty years. Also, you're right. By Friday, it could be a very, a very different world. Like cats can get so, this virus now. Did you know that was a big day? And I feel like people didn't make a big, big enough deal of that. <laughs> that really, that really threw me. When I was like, "This, this is. Uh, there's no more surprises left." And then a cat got it. And I was like, "Wow!" And cats are great at isolating. I don't understand. Cat. Got it.
0: Anyway. Here's what I will say about that is that I am one of those people who believes that we should trust the scientists and the experts in this situation. But I have some sympathy for those who don't trust the scientists and the experts because the nature of science itself is so complicated, particularly when we're dealing with a disease where we don't know what it does until it does it. So there's been it's been like an old episode of uh, like get smart you know, where mm-hmm. Max would be like, you know, this place is surrounded by a thousand people with guns. And they'd be like, I don't really believe that. And he'd be like, would you believe 50 Boy Scouts? And, oh, a slingshot? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it feels like with the medical advice. Every day it's yeah. like, kids definitely can't get it. Oh, 600 kids have got it. Yeah. Cats definitely can't get it. All the cats have had it for 50 years.
1: That's it. That's it. But, but that's the thing is I like find when people get mad at them, it's like, they don't know, they're figuring it out. They're just figuring it out. I heard someone describe it on the radio this morning that I thought was excellent was building the train track as the train is coming. And then it's like, that's, yeah, it's just like, we're just, we're not, there's there's no big plan for this. It's the, it changes. And we're like oh quick, just trying to, it's just trying to stay ahead of it. But, um, yeah. I don't That's know how much becomes you going wanna... to-
0: problematic with leadership, I think, because mm. what happens is that people suddenly go, well, if we can't trust you on the fact that you told us this before, how can we trust you on this now? You told us we didn't have to wear masks and now you're telling us we do have to wear masks. How can we trust you? You've changed your position. Whereas- like i guess the the true answer to that is yes we've changed our position because we needed to change our position we found out more yeah. information and now we have this new better information and we're telling you that now
1: i don't know and i don't know how much you want to talk about how, bo- how because the, how much people want to hear about talk listen about people talking about this stuff also because i'm very aware that even in our country people are having v- living vastly different experiences the difference between you know sydney and melbourne and then my boyfriend's in Perth, they're having 20,000 people at stadium. So it's, it's kind of a weird, whoever you talk to is just having such a different, a different time uh, of what experiencing what's happening. Like, so, you know, I talked to Ryan and he was like, this is my boyfriend because we haven't seen each other for like three months. And I don't know when I'm going to see him again. And he's like, well, maybe it'd be easier if we met up in New South Wales. And I'm like, do you not know what's going on? I can't go five kilometers outside my house. Like it feels like on the other side of the country. It's, Anyway, and then look, I don't know. It's just all perspective. I feel like everyone has got someone that's having a worse time than them, and everyone else, and you can also see someone else having a more freedom than you, and it's weird.
0: It's such a <laughs> uh, like it is a weird experience, though. And I look, I'm initially there was part of me that was like, "You're in it, Sydney, aren't you?" Uh, I'm in country New South Wales, so where I am living oh, at the moment mate. is essentially a place that has had little to no cases um and people here certainly are acting as if there has been little to no cases life is pretty much as normal you know you sanitize your hands on the way Mm. into the supermarket but um as i've said many times before i would actually be honestly be happy if people wore shoes to the supermarket around here like you know <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be a good start for me. Very, it's hard to get them to squirt something true. on their hands if they won't put a pair of shoes on their feet to go out <laughs> to the supermarket. Um, but, yeah. you know, Australia as a country is having incredibly different experiences at the moment, particularly as you said, you know, Victoria, where you are. And you can't get across the border into Western Australia because I imagine if you could, there would be a part of you that might have been tempted to just go, fuck it, I'm going to go and spend some time in Western Australia with my boyfriend and in a place where you know I can have a much more free life than I can have shut down in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, I just miss him now. It's just getting, it's just getting. So, and I was there. So I was in Perth when they first shut the border, the day they shut it, Indiana Jones style under the thing, grabbed my hat, just made it in, did two weeks quarantine. I was there for nine weeks and then I came back because he was going off for work for six weeks, thinking that by now, because it was all turning around, like Melbourne was going fine, thinking that by this point I'd be able to go back or he could come here or whatever. Um, but I don't really care so much about the freedom now. Now it's like, if I want, if I'm going to be in lockdown, I'd rather, I would like to be in lockdown with him. Like the stuff that I've missed when I was in Perth was the stuff I can't do here anyway, which is see my friends or go to the pub or. Do that kind of stuff. So, sorry, Will, it's going to be one of those. It's not a great. It can't help <laughs> so- but be one of
0: those. I mean, you could, if you'd stayed in Perth, you could have become a personality. You could have been the Basil, the female Basil Zemplis. You could have like owned a big chunk of Australia. That
1: is, that is not a real person. Barrel. <laughs> Barry Zemplis? Basil Zemplis.
0: Hey, if you're going to spend some time in Western Australia, you've got to work out who Basil Zemplis is. Basil Zemplis is is the biggest personality. He's the most famous person who is mostly only famous in (laughs) Perth. Oh,
1: what for? What does he do?
0: Everything. He's a newsreader. Oh, my God. He does breakfast radio. He calls the football. He's currently running for Lord (laughs) Mayor of Perth. He is the Eddie Maguire of Perth. This is so
1: funny because in Tasmania, there's a guy called John X. Have you ever heard of John X? No. So John X is that in Tassie. I'd never heard of him, but Luke is like, oh, my God, John X. So John X is like a musical theatre guy. He, was, he played Pumba in Lion King and he's huge, but no one in, in outside of Tasmania has ever heard of this guy. And I love it. And we cast him in Rosehaven this season, but I was very disappointed because I wanted to cast him as him and have that character that everyone in Rosehaven is like, holy shit, it's John X and my character, who's the only one who's not from there, is like, who the fuck is this guy? But we didn't, but we put him in anyway. But it's, that's very funny that there's, that there's someone in Perth that I have not come across. Um, but I'll drop it in with my boyfriend and see him. Super. Well, cool. do you know who Anne Wills is? Oh, that sounds more familiar. Is that another newsreader? Okay, so Anne
0: Wills was a South Australian personality and in the times mm. when the different states used to have their own different logies, Anne Wills has won like seventeen logies or something like that. She was like the Graham oh Kennedy god. of South Australia.
1: Oh my god, we have to make them fight somehow. Like bring back a right. it's a knockout <laughs> with everyone's state nominated, only their state famous person. <laughs> I wonder who's Victoria would be. I mean, Eddie Maguire, but Eddie Maguire's they, they'd know. I we, we well, think in,
0: in Melbourne we're... and Sydney they become national brands, but you, if you're in one of the yeah. other cities, you have the possibility that someone How can just funny. be a super famous. Like I think in Queensland it would be Agro. So Agro has the fight wills and wills of Basil templars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Um, but anyway, but just on the what the tone of, what we'll be talking about and doing the podcast. It's lovely just to talk, it's lovely to talk to you, but um, I was thinking like podcasts are, and I've probably said this to you before, to me, they're like my journal entries. Like they're like snapshots of your life, you know, and like this one's just going to be a bit sort of sad, I think. Because I, you know, I'm, well, so before I got the phone, I'm like, "Gonna be all positive stuff," but it's just, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough, weird time. Okay, and so there'll be talk, a time in the future where I'll think. If mm-hmm. this is a
0: snapshot, then if this is a diary entry from this time, and that I love that, by the way, because that's part of the reason why I'm.
1: Don't you feel that way?
0: Well, also why I'm doing these catch up episodes is partly because we're updating people's diaries. The idea that your perspective on the world, mm-hmm. you know. Mm not just might have changed during this time, but I would suggest has absolutely Mm. no choice but to change. We are in, and I believe mm-hmm. I'm the only person to have called it this, unprecedented time, Celia. And <laughs> I want to know what people's mm-hmm. response to these unprecedented times are. So firstly, I have no requirement for this mm-hmm. to be anything other than honestly, how you feel right now. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, that snapshot, that diary entry. If it is from right now, what does it say?
1: I miss when things were precedented. Isn't that just, I find that very interesting as well. Just the different language that's part of our world now that wasn't like, I remember when hotspot was a, good thing mm. <laughs> like that was cool what a great hotspot i did this joke on having you pay attention but i really like it which it was like hotspot spike surge which all sound like nightclubs in the suburbs like come on down to surge ladies drink free on tuesday surge um so what is this timeline for me it it's 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 really varied uh this because the second lockdown i was honestly fine the second lockdown, this this has been rough. And someone wrote this article and I, and it's all perspective. Everyone who says that, I I, I sort of flip between everything's fine, I'm in a very lucky position, I'm safe, I've got a house, I'm healthy, I'm working. Um, and then it goes to let me out, just panic, <laughs> just real dread panic, you know, bad, really, really bad. So it's a real... Conflicting roller coaster of emotion, sort of time. But the, the 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 difference with this second round just feels like the first time everyone was in it together. It felt like, and everyone was more banding together, and it was more a time of teddy bears in windows and rainbow drawings on the pavements, and people doing Zoom parties and really supporting and fun initiatives. And this time, it just feels sad feels like people are sad and scared and angry and and tired like so and, and um just feeling like you've failed that they're like thinking that you're out and then having to go back feels like oh uh, so so it's it's rough but um I'm really trying to use my energy to try and be a silliness for other people you know as I say I when I am in those moments of feeling like I'm very lucky and and privileged to be where I am I go right well this is when I should do a video of me riding a bath mat down the stairs which (laughs) I'm planning to do this afternoon (laughs) (laughs) um you know so so because I'm very aware that this time around it feels like there's less sparkle and stuff for people to to you know raise people's spirits I'm going to try and do that more but if I'm honest there's some real on the other side of that it's it's dark time it's um sad (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh so talk to me a little bit about uh performing in front of mm-hmm. people live. Were you going to be doing much stand-up during this time anyway?
1: Oh my God. No, no. So I don't know what I was doing. Because I won dancing with, I did dancing with the stars. I miss when my life was just a reality dance <laughs> <laughs> competition. Oh my God, I miss it so much. Um and that was that was when this started. So I had no real plans. My plans were to do dancing with the stars and then have a holiday because it had been four years of back to back Rosehaven and stand up, and then eventually get back into stand up. So, so Luke and I have lucky enough to be we can write. So we've been writing Rosehaven season five during this time. No one's asked us to, but it keeps us busy. I've been doing a bunch of heavy been paying attentions, which have been good. Um, but the plant, but I didn't have a comedy festival show or anything that got cancelled. So you know, and I just, ugh, I remember that. I remember the conversations where it's like they're not going to cancel the like they can't cancel the comedy festival. And now and now it's like, yeah, it's I still see trams in Melbourne. There's still trams with ads, you know, for like Arj Barker and stuff going past. And that's weird. Um, but no, so I wasn't I was going to be doing some live stuff. But uh just last week I was going to do easy comedy. They just started trying to to get this thing back. They had an audience for about two weeks and then they went back to not being allowed to have an audience, and then I was so excited to do it last week and then the day uh, they cancelled it, they, the restrictions changed and they weren't allowed to do it and it got cancelled. And I was not prepared for how disappointed I was about that. I was so looking forward to, even with no audience, just, just seeing, I don't know, just standing on a stage with a microphone and doing some jokes to people at home and it got cancelled and it was another, it was just, yeah, it really sucked. My but how about
0: you? Do you I mean well? My rescheduled shows because we rescheduled our Melbourne Comedy mm-hmm. Festival shows. I think there's certainly a tram rolling around Melbourne with advertising the two shows <laughs> yeah. that I was going to be doing at the Comedy Festival. Still. Yeah, because we're getting value out of those trams because it turns out it, that nobody else wants to advertise on the trams at the moment because. Yeah, right. There's so nobody out up. and about. So it's
1: actually no, cost yeah.
0: the tram companies more to change over the advertisements that are on there to something blank ah. or new. <laughs> so that's why you're still seeing advertisements from the comedy festival just rolling right. around town. But it was gonna kind of work yeah. out because we had some October shows scheduled. They were the like the rescheduled shows from Melbourne. But in my mind they got canceled when we when we Victoria went back into this second lockdown. I basically just cancelled them in my mind. But they only got cancelled in reality this week. So then once that yeah. was done, really every show that I had booked in for the rest of the year probably ends up being cancelled. And so You then start having conversations around Comedy Festival 2021. And the interesting thing for me is there's a big question mark over that. I think there's a big question mark over whether the festivals will happen next year. And if they do happen, (laughs) what they will look like because they won't look like the traditional festivals that we have there might be some gala shows some lineup shows some revamped way of having the festivals but you just can't imagine that they're going to be able to have all you know 600 shows each doing 20 odd shows you know people jammed into the city it just seems like the absolute worst nightmare for the disease that we have right now and you know how long it takes to write a new show so i'm traditionally mm-hmm. around this time of the year, I would be going, okay, well, what's next year's show going to be about? Starting to you know, formulate some ideas and then getting into the next few months of doing some pretty s- serious and heavy writing around it. But at the moment, you're like, Will I do three months of work, four months of work on a show that nobody might ever get to see?
1: But your show that was supposed to happen this year, will that carry over? Or is it stuff, is it material that you just like, I can't, you know, that you wouldn't do that show next year?
0: I can't imagine doing anything that I did before this, after this. <laughs> you know, I had material, <laughs> I had material in it about, you know, the bushfires uh-huh. in Australia, which happened yeah. this year. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's this not even year. like it's, material from like five years ago it happened this year and i think if i tried to get up Uh on stage and go say remember when scott morrison was in hawaii people would be like no that was 30 years ago what are you talking about
1: well this is really interesting because that was my last geek was the bushfire fundraiser when i was feeling tremendously guilty about doing dancing with the stars when all of this real stuff was happening (laughs) uh but that's what i think will be interesting as well is like in terms of comedy and what's going on in the world because will by the time we can come back, will people want to talk about it or do they want to talk about other stuff, you know? Are people sick of jokes about it? But I don't think they are because I feel it because it's still going on. Like when it first happened, when it was happening to everyone, you know how you have material, it's rare that there's material that the whole world knows the reference. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what it felt like. It felt like this is a thing where for the first time, Everyone on the planet will get this joke. If I mention a bat, no, everyone knows the reference, which was kind of thrilling. <laughs> um, but I don't know by, if, by if 2021 if there's a festival whether all of the shows will be about lockdown. See, that's what I'm excited because I'm the only guy with Dancing with the Stars material. That's what my show is <laughs> going to be about. It's glitter and sequins and having, having bathers glued to my butt. That's, you know, I'm not... I don't know, but that's upset me that you've said that because I was like, but it's next year, Will. Surely, surely this can't still be a thing next year. It's twenty twenty is the is the write-off. Surely everything will be will be better and fixed by next year. Right?
0: Well, here's again, maybe I'm being overly, <laughs> you know, you know, sad about this and worst case scenario. And perhaps I am being worst case scenario, but let's just say That if we do get a vaccine, because there's still a possibility that we don't get a vaccine. We don't get a vaccine for Uh. everything. That's not how these things work. But let's say we get to a point where we do have a vaccine, some sort of vague herd immunity, and we start to roll it out. Mm -hmm. That happens in the next 12 to 18 months. So that's already just to get the vaccine. Then you start making the Mm -hmm. vaccine. And everybody in the world has to get this vaccine. Now, we're very lucky. We live in a first world country and we'll get very early access to the vaccine. But the vaccine first has to go to emergency service workers. So people who work in hospitals, you know, people who are going to be exposed to this disease, then it has to go to the most mm-hmm. vulnerable. So it's got to go to the elderly. It's got to go to like kids if they're going back to school. And then you've got to roll out a vaccine to an entire population. That takes... up to a year so what they'll probably do is some version of a birthday lottery (laughs) where they will announce (laughs) it and this is true this is how it happens so the truth is that you might not be getting the vaccine until the end of the year when they first start rolling it out
1: but will (laughs) 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 this is what's so funny as well is like i just also flip you go through all the moods and the most annoying one by far is petulant teenager that goes, but it's not fair, but I want to hang out with my friends. (laughs) I don't want to stay in my room. It's not fair. And why? No,
0: I, I understand that. I mean, the thing that I think initially devastated me the most wasn't even just doing the shows. It was that when I do those shows, when we go and do festivals, when I go and do shows, that is the majority of the time that I get to spend with my friends during the year. Most of the time, I don't get to see my friends that regularly, but we all see each other at work. So it's not just your work life, but your social life that immediately disappears.
1: Yeah. But it's just so, like, as I say, I'm so aware of how lucky I am that I can work doing writing stuff. But when live performance, like, it's the worst for this. The thing that we need for our job to work is a lot of people in a small space.
0: Not just in a small space. (laughs) You're then going to try to get them to expel fluids violently out of their mouth for the entire time yeah, they are in that small yeah. space. We're not yeah, saying yeah.
1: All, all over each other. <laughs> it's and the, in your uh,
0: direction, just to be fair as well for your own personal safety, a thousand it, yeah. people all laughing yep. in your direction.
1: The lower the ceiling, the better.
0: This
1: is great. <laughs> um, it's just ridiculous, and that whole thing about like comedians are the first like with the bushfires to step up and raise money and the one that's the one thing we do to support other communities is all the thing we can't do for ourselves um so i just i really feel for you know people who were that the live stuff i don't know i don't know how they're getting through and you know well, with the support packages and whatever the government's doing i spoke to Sarah Hansen young and i'm like sarah Save us. (laughs) I'm so glad she's in there fighting for us trying to get more money for the arts and
0: support for the arts. Yeah, the support for the arts thing is one of the, because the package hasn't, you know, the the arts isn't going to see any of that money per month if they do. And I just think that is completely terrible thinking because right now you have so many artists trapped in environments where you said, like, you've had the capacity to do writing during this time. There are a whole bunch of different artists who probably have the capacity to be working on projects if they were given the right equipment or right support or right, you know, Mm. explanations online about how they they could slightly pivot their business to adapt to these circumstances. That should be money that's being spent right now on the artist, Mm. not the idea that it's going to be spent Mm. in two months or three months or six months or 18 months from now.
1: Yeah, and supporting um, the industry, like putting quotas on the streaming services so that if we are working on writing stuff that when we can come out to make things, that there's money for us to make it in this country because we're very good at it and there's a demand for it and it's just win, 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 win and I don't know why they're not doing that.
0: There does feel like also there's going to be a big empty bucket of entertainment because I don't know if you're like me but I've watched everything. I Just every time there's a new show that pops up on one of the streaming services, I'm like, I guess that's what we're watching now because we've watched everything else.
1: Because we've watched everything in the world. What have I been watching? I'm reading. uh, I'm I'm not shopping online a lot. But I, I'm currently talking to you from my area of gadgets that I just have feeling I'm sitting next to a puzzle and some candles, a lot of candles and a air purifier and a paint by numbers. And I've got a cross stitch coming in the <laughs> mail. today. But I'm, re- so I'm doing a lot of, I'm just trying to distract. I feel like I'm entertaining myself like I'm a toddler. Like I go, Let's do this project. And then I finish that finger painting and go, all right, well, should we make some biscuits? Okay. (laughs) Um, But I'm reading a lot of, I'm reading Stephen King, as you you would know is my, I enjoy that anyway, but it's, it's, I find it quite gripping. So I'm reading Stephen King and then watching the Stephen King shows. So have you seen The Outsider? Yes. Very good. I
0: have, very good.
1: I'm currently reading Sleeping Beauties, which he wrote with Owen King, which I think is his son. And it is so far my favorite Stephen King ever because it feels like the stand. It's got elements of the stand. And they reference Doctor Who in it. They reference Jodie Whittaker, Doctor Who. And for the first time ever, there's a character called Celia. Oh. It's like Stephen King knows who I am.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe so that's, that's what Stephen King's doing in lockdown, just adding personalized messages to all his fans during, through his books. Um, oh my goodness. I'm Thank interested. Stephen King. You mentioned Dancing with the Stars because I think oh, you yeah. had a very unique uh, yeah. insight because you, you did – I remember during the season you guys were dancing in front of, you know, audiences and crowds and stuff, which is the way that that show works, and then during the season of you doing that, if I'm not wrong, you yeah. ended up by the end of it not being able to do that because of COVID. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's it was amazing. It was like – it just feels like we're living in – I mean, I read really and watch a lot of science fiction anyway, but it really feels like – that's what we're, what we're living in. And I thought, I thought it would have made amazing television and the 10 people who watched it agreed with me I <laughs> um, because like no one, wa- no one watched, no one watched it, but it, I'm so glad to have been a part of it. It's the only reality show I've ever done because, and would ever do because it's genuinely aspirational and inspirational and fun. And you want people to do well. And it's about people succeeding and it's family fun and it's sparkly and silly and that. Right. Um, So from it starting, and I was saying when I was feeling guilty about doing something as frivolous as dancing because of the bushfires were happening, and then the pandemics happened throughout. So we went from, we went to no audience about halfway through, and then the week after that Richard Wilkins was positive and his son Christian Wilkins was in the show. So they got tested and quarantined. So they performed a live foxtrot on the roof of a Quest hotel. They danced around a barbecue, watched by people on their balconies, which was just amazing. Um, Then the the following week, or maybe it was even that same one, Jared and I were on the floor about to do a cha-cha when the live stream was interrupted by Scott Morrison doing a press conference so it was like it was like um, Independence Day type, type shit. So we were standing on the dance floor just listening to it. It was being played into the room and he was just giving this real scary speech about everything changing and we're going to shut down and schools are going to shut down and just terrifying for about 15 minutes and then came back and then Amanda Keller went, right, and here's Jared and Celia doing a cha-cha. <laughs> and I just looked at Jared and I was like, we're going to f- the world, Australian needs a fucking cha-cha and I danced better than I've ever danced in my whole life and we got a perfect score because I was just like thinking of the kids and the families just watching at home and this terrifying man's come on and been all scary and I was like, Jared, we need to fucking shake it for the kids now and it and it was so it was just surreal and then every day we thought it was going to be cancelled with the restrictions got tighter less and less people allowed more people spraying cleaning stuff and uh, in the end they skipped an episode so that we could finish it so I'm glad we were able to finish it but it was just bizarre that that the dancing became more and more important as it went on like In the beginning I was like, I feel dumb doing this. And then by the end I was like, people need an hour where it's not terrifying and it's an hour of me talking about getting a wedgie with Claudia Carvin and wearing pleather and doing a flip. And, um, yeah, it was bizarre.
0: This is I've been uh, probably unnecessarily self-deprecating about the inessential role of the arts during this time. You know, the joke being that as soon as they needed essential industries, they were like, well, we don't need you clowns. Yeah. Show up, your fucking circus, <laughs> get in your car and drive off. Yeah. But the truth of it is laugh is not the best medicine. We've tried it. It does not work. Fuck off. <laughs> so I think that, of course, you know, it's it's a joke, but also what you're saying is really underlines the roles that the arts have in essential working during this time because we talk about the impacts on people's mental health we talk about the idea of being trapped in these houses trying to find distraction so many times the distractions that they find to keep their mental health up will be things that are created by artists for these times and of course what you said was Yes, you can't, I mean, no one needs you out there holding a hose, you know, as Scott Morrison said, I don't hold a hose. No one needs you out there holding a hose either, but they do need you on television trying to, you know, entertain them and lighten the mood and, you know, distract them from these really serious things that are going on around them.
1: Yeah, and I'm the same. Like we we don't, very self-deprecating, that kind of stuff. But honestly, from the message, like from firsthand experience, the messages that I were getting were so just how important it was, just little, just people being like, this helped me today. This, this, this didn't happen today, but just to watch this. It's the same with Rosehaven. Like, It's worked out that it's actually come out at the, the really great time because our show is a, a safe space, you know, for want of a better word. Nothing in Rosehaven, it, it, no one in Rosehaven has ever read a newspaper. It's all silly. It's contained. It's it's complete escape um, and a comfortable place. And that it really does... In a very small way, if it helps a little bit, someone a little bit for a bit of time, that is important without being you know, I get it, we're not, yeah, holding the hose, but I do think it is important. And also with Dancing with the Stars, and I'll say this because I'll say it as many times as possible, because I won, I got to give $50,000 to my charity, which is Safe Steps, who are um, the emergency response service for women and children experiencing family and domestic violence in Victoria, but they also run one eight hundred respect, which is the national phone line, right? And they're they're there right now, still helping people, women now. Because can you imagine? That's what just breaks my heart. Thinking about how hard I'm finding it when I'm totally safe and fine. If you were in, if you were trapped, if you're in lockdown, it, in an abusive relationship, like in danger, and just how much of a horrible situation that would be. So that was also great to that show to be able to get the word of that out there because a lot of people don't know it exists. Like I didn't know that there's a step between nothing and the police, that there are services like that that you can call and, and finding ways to, different ways to get in touch with them because if you're in lockdown it might be harder to get out to a phone or that kind of stuff. So it is important to be out doing stuff as much as... As much as I was thinking about this as well, as much as I was thinking of that, you know, on an airplane when they're like, you know, tend to put your own mask on first before you help children in terms of mental health stuff. Like I've been thinking about that where I was like, it's a bit of both for me, where I'm like, I need to be okay to help other people, but it's still to tr- go in and out of that. Like I, I'm still, I'd still rather try and put out little things in between. But then some days I'll go, do you know what? I can't. I just, today I can't. Today I need to just, you know, hibernate.
0: I, th- I think being in service of others is an incredible, like, thing. I think the joy and, you know, life satisfaction you can get out of being in service of others, of helping others is incredibly important, but the truth of it is that you can't help others unless you're helping yourself first, right? And I think yeah. that those two go hand in hand. But- <laughs> I just
1: laugh because, I just have to tell you because as much as I'm like, you know, I bring people joy and I love people with joy. Having said that, yesterday I got a message on Facebook uh, about my having been paying attention performance that said, hi Celia, just quick question were you drunk? Because you were terrible. no! And- <laughs> And I normally find you funny, but you are absolutely awful. And everything you said was terrible. So I get also not everyone. So.
0: Oh, mate, I because I haven't been able to be on. Have you been paying attention? They've been oh. nice enough to ask, but I am removed from you know the way that they're filming it at the moment because oh, yeah, they did yeah, do yeah. it. And uh, originally they were going to do it at people's houses, and I live in the country, so I have Australian country internet, which was not going to be oh. appropriate for those. Yes, I did. Things. I did one of the.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, and around. then
0: yeah, I did a test. They sent me a thing to test how fast my internet was and then I sent that back to them and I think that's the biggest laugh I've ever got on that show. Right. So um, I live in an area where they're pulling down 5G towers because they think it causes coronavirus, so it's hard for us (laughs) to really get excellent internet internet up here. But um, picture this place. So Mm. I try to, um, what I try to do is uh, promote the show still because they've been great to me over the years and I really love the show. And occasionally there'll be somebody just when I'm promoting the show who has a go at me about like some performance I've done on the show and I'm like, mate, I'm not even on. I'm I'm promoting a show that I'm not on. Like there's no need. Like I didn't need to do this. I was being a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. What the fuck
1: is wrong with you? Come on, (laughs) bigger targets Um, than me right now. Let's go.
0: Why did you choose that charity to be the one that you supported? Because you obviously have a, you know, wide range of, um, you know, uh, charities that you could have supported. Why was it that that cause was particularly one that you wanted to support?
1: So I feel, and I'm sure you get this as well, we get, like you get quite a lot of, it's hard, it always feels shit to say no to a charity because they're often they're all good they're all good. But I feel to have an impact, it's better to choose a few that are important to you and really be able to support them, yep. you know. So for me, the big areas are mental health and women's stuff. It's pretty much yeah. <laughs> Women, women's stuff. Um, and I feel like mental health I talk about a lot in my stand-up, so I sort of felt like that's that's, a trun- that's who was helping that area and then domestic you know I'm lucky enough that I've not had a personal experience with domestic abuse and that kind of stuff and I've had a would met them personally so I knew about this service and it was a it was a cause that I that I'd never heard of before that I thought was so important and because they're the front line like they of actually doing the tangible thing they get women and children and their pets out and put them somewhere safe and I was like that is just incredible to me. And then talking to them more, I realized because my mom, I won't go into it, but I realized like that maybe I do actually have a history of it because domestic abuse doesn't have to be physical, which is something that I think a lot of women don't know. It can be financial and emotional, um, uh, you know, abuse and that kind of stuff. So it turns out I can I kind of is close to me. Um And yeah, and I think it's so upsetting that still in this country, you know, a woman a week is murdered. That's not, that's, it's terrible. Um, And it's run by women. It's been this, I just think they're wonderful at what they do. And they were so open to me to come in and talk to them and work with them. And they're great. Give them, give them all of your money.
0: Uh, Yeah, I agree. And I think those frontline services are incredible. Like uh, uh, the one that I'm incredibly passionate about is Lifeline and services like Lifeline, because I've had some experience and I say this all the time, but I'm willing to repeat it because again, I think it's worth repeating every single time. There Mm -hmm. might be somebody hearing this for the first time. Lifeline is not just there for people who are going through a, a life emergency themselves, because sometimes the person who's going through the life emergency themselves isn't in a position where they can even call one of those lines and have a chat. It is also for the friends and family of those people. If you are stuck, if you don't know what to do, if a friend of yours or a loved one of yours is in a mental health situation where you are terrified, for them and their safety, Lifeline is also a line that you can ring and get great advice and, you know, maybe, you know, be able to then get your friend involved in talking to a counsellor or somebody on those lines. So any of those frontline services that are still and probably completely overworked during these times are amazing ones to support.
1: Um, yeah, I um, actually called them because the men- my mental health stuff came up on Dancing with the Stars, which was not planned it just it just happened that a recording day was a bad was happened. I happened to have a bad mental health day on one of the recording days, um, but but I'm now in hindsight really thrilled that it went out because it you know reached a lot of people and we got a lot of you know people going. It's great to be able to see it and it makes it me feel less um, alone with that kind of stuff. But I had a there was someone who's messaging me on Instagram that I was really worried. You know, sending me some really sort of dark stuff and I, I was trying to get her to call Lifeline or call these places and she's like, I c- just couldn't. So I called them and said, what do I do to be able to tell her it's fine? Like, you know, so, yeah, it absolutely is. For, and the woman I spoke to on Lifeline was amazing and I was just also happy to be able to be a call for her that wasn't a call of crisis. Like just talking to her, I'm just like, mate, what is what is their life like? Just just having to take to taking that on, on, on board. What incredible people to do that kind of job. I don't know how, but thank goodness for them. But yes. So look, it's a lot. There's a lot, but there's also a lot of support out there. And just trying different things. That's the other message I always want to say is just just try something different. Not everything's gonna work for everyone. And that's what can be so frustrating. I think is sometimes when you're doing all the right things, technically speaking, and it's nothing seems to work, that it feels like it's hopeless. But maybe it's just a different combination that you need of things. Try something. Try something ridiculous. I don't know. Oh well, have you bought anything ridiculous in isolation? Let's talk about something.
0: <laughs> okay, have you but we're going to back, we're gonna get back. We're okay, going to get back to Dancing with the Stars and Rosehaven because oh, sure. I've got two things I really want to talk about. Oh, yes. Both of those, but I am happy to talk about ridiculous things that I've bought as well during yes, isolation. So, for me, no, because I have no income at the moment and uh, I have a whole bunch of financial responsibilities, so because my entire this period of time was going to be touring. Up, so later course. on, <gasps> later on in the year, yeah, yeah I, I quit radio at the end of last year to do right. three live shows that I was going to do this year. So yeah, that's real, right because
1: I was like real doing solid drinks.
0: decision making. Yeah. and most of the shows that I did in twenty twenty were fundraisers for anybody but me. So and yeah, that's fine. It's it is the way of the world, <laughs> and it's absolutely fine. I will uh-huh. be fine. I I always say when I'm you know mentioning these things that I am super aware that I have a transferable set of skills and I am lucky enough that I've been doing this for long enough. The people that I feel sorry for are those who are starting out on their journey. That person who was about to do their first comedy festival show or they were going to do the show that took them from a 100-seater to a 300-seater or they were going to do that show that took them from a 300-seater to a 1,000-seat theatre. They're the ones that, you know, are going to have put on pause you know, the natural, you know, progression of their career. The truth of it is Mm -hmm. if I never get to do stand-up again, and it's a thought that I have occasionally, is, you know, what if it is a year from now? What if it is two years from now? Look, I'm 46. I don't look after myself that well. There is a chance I've done my last ever gig. So anyone who came to (gasps) that that final Sunday night in Adelaide, well, I just sometimes that thought enters my head. It just might be true, right? You never know what will happen in a year or in two years. So okay. I may have done the last ever show that I'm going to do. But if it if I have, I can't really look back on the time that I've got to do stand-up comedy and think I didn't get to try something. It's I, I am fine. There are a lot of other people who are not. So I say it firstly with that proviso. But mm-hmm. secondly, it just means that I've cut down incredibly on spending. You know, I'm in a period mm-hmm. of time where I – you know, have little to no income other than government support at this time. And so I'm not buying anything particularly frivolous. In fact, the idea mm. of buying frivolous things is not really, but I bought some things that are meant to be not frivolous, that have been frivolous just because I haven't used them yet, if that makes sense. So um, for me, it's exercise equipment because, so I was going to a gym for my back called Kaiser and it was amazing. It was sort of this rehab thing. It was mostly me and old people mm-hmm. or me and people who just had operations. That was basically the vibe of the gym. Right. You could go in your street yep. clothes. You weren't going to sweat yep. that much. But it was really great <laughs> for me. Right, It's not something that's obviously available mm-hmm. during these times. And for me, the thing that's really been neglected during this time has been my health and my fitness. Like I've dealt with all the other things by just completely cutting back on health and fitness. So that's fine for a few months. But it gets to a point where you're like, oh, I've got to do something about this. I've got to do something about my health and fitness. Now, one night I must have decided that I was going to buy those exercise bands, you know, the ones that you can use your own body weight to do yeah. exercises around the house. But then I've obviously at some stage forgotten that I've ordered those exercise bands and then I thought the ones that I had ordered the second time hadn't come. So I went and ordered a third set of exercise bands and then <laughs> they all arrived at once. So now I have three sets
1: oh my of exercise God. bands.
0: I've hung them up outside. There's like three nails on the wall and the three various <laughs> sets of exercise bands are there. Uh, at this point hey, still. Just
1: build a couple of slingshots. Still unused. Really have
0: not been them. used at this stage. Not one of those three bags of three exercise. Three to- yeah.
1: times. How did you manage three times? Like twice, like, I get it all right. Three times the same thing. My goodness. Well, we're doing, so we've got weights now. In the first instance of the lockdown, it was impossible. Like that was panic buying, was trying to get any kind of dumbbells was impossible. But now slowly we've got enough. Um, my flatmate and I do Fitness XO, which is so great. So they were a place that I used to go to physically. They're like a hit class. You're like 45-minute, you know, high-intensity but it's different every time, but they've gone online and it's really cheap. It's like 40 bucks a month. They do a new video every day and all the old ones are still up there and it's, it's good. We do it in the living room. We take turns. We bought some like, (laughs) like plague equipment mats to put on the cart. Like it's ridiculous (laughs) in your, in your house, just trying to do this little workout. But I, that's been good. I've done that every day because I was, like did Dancing with the Stars, I lost six kilos, the fittest I've ever been in my whole life, and then can't show it off, can't go out. <laughs> I am so worried that when I can actually go out of the house, I'm not going to fit into the clothes that I bought to celebrate losing all this weight. <laughs> it's so shitty. Celia um, is uh, currently but that's pitching
0: Dancing with the Stars, winner's edition for next season. Winner's
1: edition, yeah. let's go. All stars. Um, because, but that's not, by the way, it's not about losing weight. It was just so fit, like... It, and that's not sustainable. I was doing six to eight hours of cardio every day for two months. It was crazy um but so that the health of fitness has been pretty good because I'm really mainly working out because I still because once the sun goes down it's chaos it's 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 booze and food chaos still that's my main that's the ish that's my challenge. the sun goes down and I'm just like. Um, But that's fun. So three exercise bands. I bought uh, this microphone that I'm using to talk this on because I've realised very quickly that in the new world, sound quality is the new status, you know. I was sick of being on Zoom calls where, like, you know, if you've got shitty audio, it's like you're just scum.
0: (laughs) Well, it's amazing how quickly you'll change your mind on things because my one rule that I had for this show was I always did it in the same room with somebody. That was, you know, it's a... It's Uh an interview conversation (laughs) and so my rum rule was like you've always got to be in the same room and that's why during lockdown I started doing you know previous guests because I thought well at least we've previously been in the same room together so we already have that intimacy oh now all bets are fucking off because I can't be in the same room with anyone (laughs) for months so guess what Mm. turns out my rule was wrong and I completely changed it straight away.
1: Do you know what else I've been doing a lot of? I don't know, but this is a really good time to just get in touch, to just ask people for favours because no one's got excuses. Like you can't say no. So I've been doing a lot of birthday yeah. shout-outs, <laughs> like a lot of Instagram messages going, can you send a message? I crashed a birthday, like a 12-year-old's birthday Zoom it was a terrible idea. Never do it. If they ask you to do it, her mom was got in touch with me. was like, she's such a big fan. We're having a birthday party. And then I turned up and there was like 15 people on this zoom doing a quiz about this girl that I'd never met. And I just hung, I was just there for a bit and then went, well, bye. <laughs> it was a disaster. Um, but yes, that's what that's 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 been keeping me occupied
0: as well. Okay, so I'm going to go back to Rosehaven if we may. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I think this current season is like I mean you know that I'm such a fan of the show. I think it's oh, such a great show. I've always absolutely loved it, and I think part of it was you know growing up in the country in a small town yeah. that reminds me a lot of Rosehaven. But I think you did it. I've said this before, but I think that you've done an incredible job. Uh, of honouring the quirkiness of those sort of communities without making fun of it. And I think that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And so I've always thought that was great about the show. But Mm. secondly, I think that it's only gone from strength to strength. I, I feel like this current season is the funniest it's ever been and it just feels like it has an ease to it that, you know, I mean, I think that, that's the nature of, you know, the amount of episodes of a show you make in Australia. Realistically, you'd just be getting towards the end of your first season
1: you I know. You know? <laughs> it's too funny. And often
0: there's some great shows that you don't watch the first season of in America, you know. Parks and yeah. Rec, you can miss the first season of that. The US Office, I'd suggest you skip the yeah. whole first season yeah. of that. And you're really only up to that amount of episodes. So there mm. is an ease in the show now that works I think incredibly but I think that there's something that's even more powerful about watching it during what we're going through is that if I have a sense of what is the best of us out of what we're going through and what we need more than any other quality in humanity is that that sense of building out of smaller communities, forming a community and then building out of that community. And I think that right now that show, like you said, no one there reads the newspaper. It feels like it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world. What matters to the people of Rosehaven is the relationships between the people in Rosehaven. And they're not all going to get along. They're going to be incredibly diverse range of people. But because of the nature of this is the community where they live, they have to find a way to live and work and exist with each other. And I think there is an incredible lesson in that for what we're currently going through in the state of the world. So talk to me a little bit about that.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you. That's really lovely. I'd not thought about it like that. But yeah, I guess it is. I mean, I guess Rosehaven in its way is in lockdown, like it's a bubble. Mm -hmm. It's in it is a bubble The people are stuck there and the problems are smaller and smaller. Um, even That's the lovely. sort of,
0: you know, the mainland stuff, you know, the idea yeah. of it being in Tasmania, the idea that people, you know, really it feels like to that community, the idea of going to the mainland of Australia is the way that we feel about going interstate during lockdown. It's always had that sense of yeah, a community yeah. in lockdown.
1: Yeah. Um, but which we, that we had the most beautiful review, which is what I was saying, like it has worked out the timing's actually come out perfectly. So it was supposed to go to where like three months ago, but it got pushed back. Because they made the Ray, you know, the at home. Hmm. Anyway, but it turned out the first episode came out the day Melbourne was announced it was going back into lockdown. And it was such a treat going on. Every, every interview I did that day was the news. People would be like, thank God you're the first story that is not <laughs> terrible news. I'm like, <laughs> don't worry, guys, we're here. We're going to say. Um, and we got a really beautiful review um, from a guy in Texas. Which was talking about exactly that about why right now because it is about it's a bubble and it's a it's a holding pattern and it's this safe fool's place but I hadn't thought about it in terms of needing to build communities but I guess it is right you I, like for me like. On a very small scale, like me and my flatmate, we've had this conversation many times that we need to be strong because this we're all we've got in our house. And when we were at stage three, it was slightly bigger. Our friends live across the road, and there was our bubble of like five, and Luke is up the road as well. And I guess that checking in on the people in your bubble, um, all the time, and those people checking in on their bubble. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really lovely. But also
0: on a broader extent, like I think that this idea of it's reconnected us with our, you know, the the, the local shop that you go and, you know, get your takeaway from. Mm. We understand right now that we're helping that business survive by going and getting takeaway from that local shop. And we don't want to see that local shop disappear from our local community because we like going there. So we understand that if you are able to go out and buy something, it's better to go and buy something from that local shop than it is from... You know, some big multinational that doesn't, yeah, you know, really care. And was, I think that,
1: and I think right now, sometimes you just really want to open someone else's package. So that is a mm-hmm. reference to episode right. one, where a package turns <laughs> is a package that does not belong. <laughs> that is, that was like looking into the future. Who knew how important <laughs> packages were going to become? Um, but yeah, it, it really, it really is. In, Rosehaven's always been a place where there's one, there's one of everything. Like that was one of the first ideas of the first season was there's one um, butcher, or well, there's one, there's one butcher. If they go out of business, then there's no, butcher. <laughs> and you're like, we just can't have that. And I love the idea. You'd know from small towns, I've always loved the idea of combination shops. Like the milk bar is also the video shop is also kind of a chemist and that, that kind of stuff taking on different roles and, um, a lot of acceptance because you have to, you know, it's a, small towns are often like the most, um, inclusive of everyone because, that you just have that's who you've got so there's no you can't really be I think
0: they're because you yeah, need I've always it. my theory is always they're immediately exclusive so what you find in the country is often a real suspicion to things that they don't understand you know probably more drawn than it is in the city mm-hmm but immediately when someone is part of that community, they have to, by the very nature of it, be involved in the community. So if you're a Sudanese kid who moves to the suburbs of Melbourne, you're likely pushed into a Sudanese community, not given the right infrastructure or support, not necessarily integrating with the rest of the population. Whereas if you're a Sudanese family who moves to a country town, guess what happens? Like the first day, like the coach from the local football club is like, hey, you're six foot eight, please come down and play footy (laughs) and you're part of the community. And what you're saying about those businesses is they genuinely firstly they're responsible to the community Mm. so you can't be a dodgy plumber that you're never going to see again Gary the plumber also lives in the community and he does everybody's pipes so he's got to have a good reputation but secondly it can change the community I remember in Hayfield when Uh, eventually it had a proper cafe open. Up until then it was, you know, you could probably get a coffee at the bakery or at the, you know, like you said, the milk bar that also sold car parts. But (laughs) there was a specialist cafe, Mm. like a proper cafe where you could get, you know, avocado on toast and poached eggs at breakfast cafe. And it became this social hub for the community. Suddenly people would have birthday parties and wedding receptions and all these things because there was a place for Community events. And so, just by opening that little business, you know, the guys who opened this business, and it happened to be two gay guys. So, going back to Hayfield, one of them from that area, you know, bringing his partner back. So, suddenly you've got two gay guys at the heart of this community and all their events. And you go from where I grew up in that community being very, I would say, Homophobic mm-hmm. to being the place where, yeah, the complete opposite of that. And all it takes is that small change to that small community. So yeah. I find it endlessly fascinating. And it's part of the reason that I, I, I think the Rose Haven's such a great show. Oh,
1: it's really good. Thank you. That's lovely. And we like, I mean, this season is, well. Yeah, I weirdly, I don't know why. We like, we think this season's the best one as well. And I don't know why. It just, it, we've just, I think it's, you're right, it's just getting more confident and less happens. Like, we've just got more confident to do less and we've got more, we've got two more than we need because we like focusing on really small stuff. And mainly we just want to spend more time with characters that we already really liked. Like every season we're like, Oh, I wish we could do more with that person. You know? So like um, Susie Youssef, who's Jess, we got, she's got a main episode coming up because we love her. And we've always been trying to find a way to have her, have her own storyline. Um, and quirk david quirk who's damien was last season we did a lot of that stuff and chris mcquaid is so funny like we just don't have enough episodes we could just make which is why we're writing season five and if we do season five it'll be the end just because we're gonna do something else (laughs) we're getting too old we're getting old luke's had his teeth fixed he looks completely different it's so funny um if we do season five we'll finish like that'll be That'll be it, which will be fun knowing that. We've always said if we want to end it, we want to know it's the last one so we can actually end it in a satisfying way because otherwise it needs to be a type of show where nothing changes. Um, But we've still got more story than five. Like we've we've plotted season five and there's still more. For example, (laughs) this could be a whole. So my wall was covered in post-it notes with ideas. For example, one says magician question mark that's an episode that we're, not, we're never gonna write. <laughs> uh town time capsule. Haven't done that one? Like it's so fun. Oh,
0: that's but good, no, though. We're
1: not doing that. Um Emma buys a Segway. <laughs> <laughs> that's scenes were some of the things that you would never see. But so it could it could go on. It could go on and on. But yeah, we really, we really like this season because it's just um it's just you know what I like about it as well, the more seasons you do. We we want it to be that every episode you can watch on its own. They're all standalone episodes. You don't need to have watched a second of anything to know what's going on. But if you have, it just grows the relate. You get to know the depth of, like Bruce, who's Daniel's bully. They, their relationship has not changed from the first episode from season one, but so much has happened. And if you know their backstory, it just builds on. Which is what happens in a small town, as you know. Like like it just. Your your relationships just have all of this history and backstory now that you carry on into all of your interactions, and um, yeah, so we're real, we're real proud of it, and we're really happy that it's you know bringing people some little bit of little bit of joy. Um, although I did hear because I listened to ABC Radio in the morning, <laughs> very awkward. They started talking about Rosehaven on the radio, and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, Kelly, I'm like they're talking about it, they're talking about. It. And the person was saying, love the show, find Emma's character very annoying. Luke's character is great. I found Emma very (laughs) annoying. And I, like, threw my headphones across the room. I was like, ah! (laughs) Ambushed. But I don't think she's annoying. She's not annoying. She's fun.
0: Yeah, but she's also a bit annoying. Like, that's kind of the point, right, is like.
1: What? Well, I mean, look.
0: I mean, that is, well, she's at least meant to be annoying to Luke's character, you know, or you, to yes. his mum or to, you know, probably what they're picking up is that often she is the, she's the inciting factor in things because Luke's character yeah, is bo- more passive. She is the, she has to be the one that if there is going to be some sort boring. of plot line say, or storyline. Uh, boring, No, boring, that's, not, boring. that's not it at all. You need sometimes someone to light a fire to be obsessed <laughs> with finding out what's in the package. Whereas if everybody's like, no, we shouldn't look in the package. Then you don't have know, an episode. A, no That's, one looks in it, right? Whereas if she's um, excited about we, looking at a package and annoying everyone about being able to look in the package and find out the package, you need somebody to be driving whatever action <laughs> or storyline there actually is.
1: Oh yes. Uh, completely. I, look, I know, and everyone's entitled to their opinions. And then other people will call you up and saying that they find his character annoying and my Anyway, it, it just kinda of bugged me. I didn't like the conversation. They're not it shouldn't be it shouldn't be who do you like better. The, the whole point of the show is that, that's a team, is that they're a team, that it's not about. Yes,
0: but the point of the show, but what what you want, what you think the show is about, it becomes not your I business know. as soon as you make the show and show it to other I people. Know. Then it's what they think about the show and they're allowed to talk about whatever they want. And the mistake you make, and I mentioned this because I did it recently, was I was trying to uh, hook up. We've got a new website. And I was trying to find some Mm -hmm. information for our new website and the only place for me to find that information was to go to the, um, uh, just the uh, the podcast app on my phone to look at Uh philosophy episodes because I wanted to find out some dates around things. That was basically all I did. So I had to go right down to the bottom of the list of episodes to find out, you know, the date that I needed to find. And right near the bottom is where they have the reviews of the episode. it's on iTunes. Now I am not a person who ever rev- reads the reviews on iTunes. Just have a real policy of like, that is not for me. That is for the people who listen to mm-hmm. the show. They can like it, they can not like it. I don't have any bosses. Re- reviews are only important to your boss and I am the boss of this podcast. So if somebody says, hey, will you talk too much on the podcast? Fine, go and find another podcast. This is my podcast. Yeah. I'll talk as much or as little as I want. Some people like that. Some people won't like that. But I don't have a boss. There's no point to that review. Like I am the person yeah. who decides what we do on this on this show. So I don't read them. And I was intoxicated by, of course, this is what happens. You know, I'm in this time, not getting much validation, I, I suppose, get, I guess was what it was. <laughs> first reviews five stars and they say this really, Yeah, it was about Nellie Thomas and that got me in because mm-hmm. Nellie Thomas mm-hmm. is one of my favorite people to talk to on this podcast, but she's one of the lesser known names immediately to the public. So not necessarily an episode that people, I get If Tim Minchin's on the show, I'll get like, you know, 50 letters about that, but maybe not so much Mm -hmm. for Nelly. So I was like, oh, great. Mm -hmm. This person really loved Nelly. They wrote this really great review of how good Nelly is. I'm like, well, that's smart. Good. Let's see. Let's see who else has written good, smart things about this podcast. (laughs) Second one, five stars, all these lovely things. Third one, five stars, all these lovely things. And then eventually, Mm -hmm. of course, I just kept tempting fate. At any stage in the first, like, six seven or eight five-star reviews, I could have stepped away from my phone and lived in a world where I imagined they were all five-star reviews until I finally got to that one that wasn't. You're not meant to watch that stuff. The minute you hear them talk about Rosehaven mm. on the radio, you're meant to turn off the radio. It's it's why you know. I love the TV show Gogglebox. It's the most unlikely thing that I would ever love. When I first heard of the idea of Gogglebox, I thought this is the worst idea for a TV show of all time. I refused to watch it. It turns out it's my absolute favorite show in the world during lockdown we've been watching old series of like a a uk goggle box (laughs) we watched the entire Uh series of uh, they do a all-star uk goggle box we didn't know who any of the fucking stars were on it but we watched all of that as well and we've been doing back episodes of the australian ones but when we do back episodes of the australian ones it's always with trepidation because occasionally yeah. they talk about Gruen. And I don't want to just stumble mm. on an episode where my favourite characters who I love commenting on any other show are suddenly fucking commenting on my show.
1: Yeah, that is a risky. <laughs> why do you like that so much? I don't think I've ever watched a whole, e- a whole episode. I,
0: don't, I, I can't tell you why exactly, but there's something about it that I find incredibly compelling. And the more you watch of it, the the more you love of it. Like we have our favorite families. Like, you know, we we (laughs) we know so much about them. Like you get obsessed with the littlest things. On the on the British one, there's these two sisters who've been on it forever. And, you know, they've grown up as from being these kind of like, you know, traditionally sort of hot young, you know, I guess chav girls or like whatever they would be in the UK. But like, you know to being these like, you know, mothers and in relationships and and they always eat the worst food, like the worst food, like real <laughs> British, like, you know, pies and chips and, you know, all this like terrible, yeah. te- they're always eating terrible food. And so you're as obsessed yeah. by what terrible food will they be eating today? Or there's this brother and sister who have these incredible range of giant oversized novelty animal mugs. So like a giant snail <laughs> mug or a giant like lion mug. And so then we become obsessed <laughs> with the idea of like, what? Fucking stupid mugs, and how many of these stupid mugs do they have in their house? And so, I think it's just I don't know, I don't know what it is about the show I find so compelling, but I find
1: it incredibly I might, compelling. I might have to have a look, yeah, yeah, I might have to, yeah, but I know you're right, you shouldn't, I should have not listened to it straight away, but it was fine. It's one of those things as well, where it's I genuinely, and I genuinely usually don't, and I do feel like once the show's out, that it's none of my business. Um, I'm excited. You know, we've we're in the edit, so we're, there's no surprises for Luke and I. Like we wrote it, we're in, you know we know it. We're like that's the show. If we, we feel with Rosehaven, if, if if you didn't like season one, you'd not like it now. I don't think we're changing anyone's minds. <laughs> We'd like to think that people who liked it in the start would like it more. But also, it's just it, that one was just you know when it's your secret fear. You know when your secret fear criticism, like usually criticism, if you don't believe it, it doesn't hit you as much. If you're like, well, that's wrong, but when it's your secret fear, which is for me with that character, has always been annoying. Is she, if you know, being too silly and too annoying? But of course, she's not. Um, but also, or-
0: I think that some element of annoyance is important. Like, if people are annoyed by Luke's character, or they're annoyed by his bully, or they're annoyed by, you've got to have some like you know, something. You've got to have that, like, grain of sand to, you know, make the pearl, as they say. There's got to be some element of irritation in, in all the characters to a certain extent or they're sort of boring, aren't they?
1: Also, I will tell you, which makes fills me with such the, the people on our show and the cast and the crew are so divine, like Sam Cotton and – um Mick Davies, who's Madrick, Bruce and Madrick, didn't know each other. And now they went to each other's like wedding, like they're best friends. (laughs) And they're the most beautiful. And Katie Roberts, and like it just, even just thinking about, you know, when you watch a show and you go, imagine if they're all pricked. You don't know. But I can tell you honestly, the whole cast is just. So beautiful and wonderful. Even Chris McQuaid, who's terrifying, but she likes the show now. Like first season, I think she was a bit like, "What is this? Is this shit? <laughs> oh, I up for some shit?" <laughs> and then it actually went well, so she likes it now. So now she's like happy to be in it. But yeah. Uh, what about and the, some friendly okay. faces? You'll see some comedians this week as well. Greg oh, really? Glasson does a cameo next awesome. this episode.
0: Very funny. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah, dancing. That, how, yeah, so dancing with the stars then. Um, mm-hmm. I, because I, I didn't see it. It's probably not the sort of show that I would, you know, it's not my, my sort of reality show. Um, yeah. but w- had you watched it before you went on it? Fuck no. <laughs> oh, right.
1: <laughs> it's not my kind of show either. No, I've never watched, a, never watched a second in my life. Um, but it's the one, it, as I say, it's the only one. Where I've always said that's the only one I'd ever do. If they asked me to do it, I'd do it because it's, if I'm bad at it, it's funny. I'm not like the point, mm-hmm. the worse I am at it, the better it, it is, you know? Um, and you get a skill and you get fit and you get to dress up. And if it goes well, it's the dream. Like it's the childhood fantasy of like, you know, with stand up, we don't do music, we don't get the, the big finish and then the applause, you know? I don't know. I did Rocker Stedfords at school. It's just lights and there's something about it where I was like, someone, I get to get dressed up and spun around. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be and there was parts of it that were real shit, but overall thrilled that I did it.
0: Uh, did you say yes immediately? Like it was it a hard decision to make?
1: So it was, they asked me to do I almost did it the year before when Denise got did it but it would have been during the same time that we were editing Rosehaven and it was gonna but then the what knocked me out is it was in Sydney so I was like I can't it just wouldn't be physically possible for me to do it and this time around because it was in Melbourne I was like okay I've run out of reasons to say no to this so we were still editing when I started but then once the show started taping that's all I was doing so I was dancing it was amazing there was some days I'd be like I'm just going to dance now. I'm, I was in my car, I'd get a coffee and I'm like, I'm just going to go dance for six hours. Like, and then, and then, but it was so physically difficult. Like if I wasn't dancing, I was doing recovery things because of the paint, like massages and saunas and acupuncture and because it my body. Uh, I'm a 37-year-old woman who's not a professional dancer who was doing <laughs> flips. I did a flip will I did a lift I did the one thing that I said I wouldn't do which is put my vagina near his face which I did <laughs> do like they picked you know that's a li- they picked, like it was there I did I did I did that one by the end that was for the finale so I saved it to the end but they're they're very dancers. Are... You were
0: like you were like Australia needs this. I yeah, wasn't going to yeah. do this, but Australia needs this right I, now. I
1: once I said use the term Australia's ass. I have Australia. I don't care. Australia needs to see my ass right now. I will. <laughs> this is Australia's ass. Like me and just the memories that are, feel like a fever dream, but because there was they were filming it, they actually happened. Me and Claudia Carvin, Australian just legend, Claudia Carvin wearing outfits that were made out of a swimming cap covered in feathers and glitter and beads just going, what the fuck are we doing? Um, and Chloe Latanzi spending time with Olivia and John's daughter that I will tell you about when we are not <laughs> counting, um, was, uh, was was incredible. And then Jared, my dance partner, like so bizarre this man that I never would have come into contact in in a million years suddenly is everything, is my whole world. I'm spending every moment with him. And the first time I met him, Will, I was like, oh, shit, he hates me and he does not think I am funny. And I was like, this is going to be fucked. But over time, because uh, he saw... I don't know. We we're going quite well. We sort of developed a friendship, but that first time I met him, I was like, "This is this. I've made a terrible mistake." Um, this guy wants to win, and he's looking at me like, "There's no way." Oh fuck! I got the comedian. That's what he thought. The com- a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> a comedians never won before. Well, I'm the first comedian to ever win it. Because you know what, comedians usually aren't professional dancers. <laughs> it's
0: incredible that what you say, though, because this is one of the things that I find particularly interesting about Dancing with the Stars, like from an outside perspective, is the idea that you have to have this incredibly intense one-on-one relationship with this complete stranger and not just... Like incredibly intense that you're working together and training together for so many hours, but there are you are there are so many levels I imagine to that relationship. One is that he is an expert and you are a complete amateur, so you're already going into that relationship he, like he that. Right. But yeah. but then He's also you're going in yeah. to be a partnership of some kind because dancing isn't just an expert and an amateur. Like if you're going to dance together properly, you have to come to some sort of equilibrium so that you can communicate with with each other through that dancing. And then there's the third aspect of it, which is physical. There is a physical Connection between you and this stranger constantly, like that's part of dancing. You can't just dance, you know. Well, I guess in, if they have to make it in COVID age, you might have to dance 1.5 meters apart from each other. But up until that point, you have to <laughs> touch touch this other person constantly.
1: Yeah. So, oh my God, I mean, there's so much, and I won't talk to you about it too, for too long because I'm sure it'll be boring. But there is so many things to tell you about this. um I will st- I will start with, or just tell you about the the, the physical thing. Is, was one of the biggest things because, as much as I said I've always wanted to do it, I'm not someone who's comfortable uh, with my body. <laughs> I absolutely had it not occurred to me that this would be a stranger in my physical space when I am not someone. I've spent my career making people not look at my body. Like my stand up is is always about listen to what I'm saying. Please don't look at what I'm wearing. I always dress down. I'm not comfortable with my body at all, and then. Now there's this strange man who has to touch me all the time and it was so confronting and full on, particularly when we had to do, and I knew it was coming, I knew they were going to give us a sexy dance because it's mm. fun, good television to watch me squirm and hate it. So it was the rumba and um, like it was really, it, it really had an effect on me that I did not like. And I remember going home that night and speaking to my boyfriend on the phone, really upset. Um, being like, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't, I just didn't like it. I felt really, you know, and this is not Jared didn't do anything wrong. He was really, but we also don't have time. You just don't have time for me to change fundamentally who I am as a person to get comfortable. So we just had to move through it, but, and I didn't tell it. So I just went home. I was really upset about it. And it was really sweet because my boyfriend was preparing himself for me to call him and tell him that I'm (laughs) developing feelings for Jared. Whereas it was the opposite, I'm like no, I never want him to touch me ever. <laughs> it was really cute. He was like, I understand. you spent a lot of time together, and it's natural. I'm like, no, 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 it's 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 awful. I don't. So that was really interesting, and I'm proud of what I managed to do. But still, even watching it back, I still see I was holding back. Like it's still not where I'm real comfortable in that space. So that was so full on the other interesting thing with them being in chart like having all the answers him being a professional dancer and then wanting to win is this weird and ed cavalli and i talked about it a lot they'd get like if you made a mistake like the frustration in them just being like just do it and us being like we're not fucking up on purpose like i want to be able to be amazing at this I'm I'm trying like that kind of conflict of them going, just do it. And I'm like, I, I just, I you've been doing this since you were eight. I've been doing this since 8 a.m. this morning. Um, so that was really, really weird. But then also Jared was like a fucking hard ass, but he got me to do some crazy stuff that I never would have imagined that I would have been able to do, which I'm very grateful for. Not so much at the time. <laughs> At the time, I'd say shit to him like, Jared, is not there a chance you've made this too hard? And he'd say, Celia, is there a chance you'll show I up? think
0: that there should be a thing in Dancing with the Stars, and forgive me if there is, but there should be if there isn't, a thing yeah. where they have to do your job mm. for a week. They have a week. There's an episode where oh, you my- <laughs> have to train them for a week so the tables are turned for the very least. And you're like, Jared's putting together a stand-up routine. You're like, well, just do it, mate. Just be funny.
1: Oh, fuck, I would love that. He did not find me funny. He very rarely finds me funny. And I find that so funny that he does not find me funny. I would just laugh and laugh. And then by the end, it was real funny because talking to Ed, because Ed and I were both in the last four. I was like, we were injured, we are falling apart. I'm like, it's so hard. I'm like, I don't think I can do this dance. And Ed's like, yeah, at this point it's robot wars. Like the dancers are so competitive with each other. It was like, look what I can make mine do. Like we are just these. we just turn up like, look what, this one can spin on its head. Like, <laughs> please. So it was a huge, it was an amazing experience. I'm really sad that we still haven't, at some point I would like to have a reunion and a debrief like because it it ended it it ended and then like the next couple of days later i was in perth i've seen jared once i came back and when we could see people um but he's in sydney he's in sydney now but yeah like i want to just have a, a wine and a debrief and just want to hang out with Claudia Carvin pretty much (laughs) (laughs) she's so cool Will oh my god I love her so much uh what is
0: what was the best thing that you learn about yourself doing it
1: um what did I learn about myself I don't know I don't know I like I liked having the structure of it I liked that it was a Every day was working on a thing, you know, you got the reward. I really enjoyed seeing the progress, the physical, the strength, like the physical changes and feeling strong. And I just kept turning up. I think I liked that. There was stuff that was it was hard. And I think towards the end, that last dance was the first time where I was like, I'm going to be good at this. This is a good. I was really proud of that. It was. I chose the song was really important to me. What the dance was about was really important to me. And I was really excited. I wanted people to watch it. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, don't look at me. This one, I was like, nah, people watch
0: this you you spoke earlier about the idea of you know being uncomfortable with people judging rosehaven Mm. on the radio but Mm. when you do something like dancing with the stars the very nature of the show is judgment you know there are judges in the studio immediately after your performance telling you whether that was a good performance or not which is not something generally as a stand-up that you have to deal with you know i think that we're our judgment is the audience reaction, but it's not like you get off stage and somebody says, well, you hit most of your punchlines. So I'm going to give you seven out of ten <laughs> for that one.
1: Disaster. I got told it was a disaster because I fell. in the When I put my vagina near his face, mm. I fell. Very dramatic in the finale. Oh. Um, I think also because I was, as a, a comedian, and Ed and I really bonded over this as well, the jokes, us our bringing jokes to the show were as important as the dance and sometimes more important. Like sometimes we'd be more excited if a joke landed than I landed, you know, i am like, oh, did you see that shit I pulled on Danielle? Like, yeah, that was great, you know. <laughs> um, but because we knew we were going to get judged, it was easy to sort of be prepared for it. So I just always in my mind expected them to hate the dance. So I would always have jokes ready to go. Because the thing is, no matter how mean they are to me, I'm not a professional dancer. So actually anything they say is like, yeah, it's funny. If I'm terrible, it's it's funny because I'm not a professional dancer. Um, so most of the time I was surprised when it wasn't really mean and so I didn't really have anything to say back to it because I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I, I really liked bringing content. It was important to me and like Ed as well to be like, what's this? What's the story? Because it's the first time either of us done a reality show as well when they film you for hours and you don't know what they're going to put together. But as I say, that this is also the only reality show that I trusted to not paint you in a in a way that's not, you know what I mean? Like, and they did, they did. I was really happy with. I didn't have a say in the packages and stuff that they put together, but I was happy with what they did. I thought they, you know. They let me bring Luke in one day when we were doing Sexy Moves and, you know, so I, they were. They let us pitch content and to try and make the show better. Um, but the judgment, no, and I didn't really get messages from people who hated me because no one watched it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't want to get judged, just do a show that no one's fucking watch. But, but the messages that, that were nice were beautiful, like people who aren't comfortable with being touched they liked seeing me like I was happy to be a dork on TV going I'm gross I'm sweaty and gross and I don't want this guy to touch me and I and I feel weird about this and it's silly and ridiculous and I really liked it being me because you know like all the other all of the other people were already fit and gorgeous and stuff and I I like I liked I totally leaned into being an unc being unquote, on that show. Um,
0: can you just give me a sec? My dog's, bu- my dog's barking uh, outside the door. <gasps> oh! I'm just going to see what the story is for a second. Hang on. thought sure, sure we were going to have a dog in the podcast, but no desire to come in here. Ah! No desire to come um,
1: in here. How cute is this? A, a, a friend of ours is um, doing a screenwriting course and as part of their assessment is writing a spec script of Rosehaven. <laughs>
0: Are you serious? Yeah.
1: How cool is that? They just asked for some scripts to read, like,
0: maybe the the ABC has decided that uh, they know you're only doing five seasons but they've got plans for a reboot and they're getting some scripts together at the moment. In fact, if you guys could write a script of Rosehaven around the idea that Celia's character gets a segue.
1: (laughs) Or a magician?
0: Question mark? Yeah, on the whiteboard in the class, there's just a giant whiteboard that says <laughs> magician question mark. There you go, guys. Write so your spec funny.
1: script. That is that is too funny. Do you know it's happened sometimes that people have got in touch with that, like Luke and I gone, we've I've written a script like it's random. I've written an episode of Rosehaven, if you'd like to read it. And obviously Luke and I are desperate to read it, but we don't. We're not allowed, You're not allowed. in case because legally. No, because Right? Yeah, because in case in their script you know something happens that we have in new script later they'll be like you stole our idea but we are desperate so that's also a reason for us to finish mm. so you can read so all the scripts once it's finished, <laughs> yeah as long as I'm, I'm scared it'll be some kind of <laughs> porn c- scenario but like i don't hope not. yeah
0: <laughs> what happens if you read one and you go oh fuck that was a better idea that's i wish really we had a great record. idea i know
1: <laughs> I
0: know, I know. Should stolen it. No. Uh, all right. So, um, uh, I have been asking people um, a series of questions, and it's been a long time since you've been on the show. So, I'm going to, um, I can't remember how many of these we would have got to last time. So, I'm going to ask some of them again, and we'll see, you know, if anything okay. has changed, if there weren't things that you answered last time anyway. You've just learned a new skill. And one of the things I'm very fascinated by is that idea i've been asking people recently if you could just have some new skill and you don't have to do the ten thousand hours this is just magic wand scenario i can come to you and give you the capacity to do anything you can suddenly just speak that language you've always wanted to speak or you can sing in a beautiful voice or you can there is no limits to what this is but you can immediately have one other skill what other skill would you
1: like to have Mm -hmm. Can I just say also I've cheered right up, Will. I hope anyone listening has stuck it out. Because I was really sad at the beginning. Look at that. Hour and a half.
0: Oh, we could get depressing again. That's fine. We could right never up. never know. No, there's no, there's no. still a little bit to but go. But, the,
1: but this is this is what I mean. This is what's weird. Is at any given point, I'm, I'm real all over the shop. But right now, I've just it's good to acknowledge when things is good as well. Um, what skill? It would definitely be a music thing. It will either be singing or playing an instrument because I have no skill. Probably, probably singing. What sort of singing would you
0: like to sing? or Just to be able to sing or would you use it professionally if you could sing? I'm interested in this. So you're you. In every other way, you're still... The person you are but you wake up tomorrow and you have the capacity to be an incredible singer does that become part of your life does it is it something that you keep to yourself do you incorporate it into your comedy does your character (laughs) on rose haven like is the final season of rose haven like a hamilton style rose haven the musical like you know what is how does that skill then be incorporated into your life if you have it
1: it would be Oh, I don't know. My instinct is that it would be like just as a surprise. I would love mm. to to pull it out at a moment when people are like, holy shit, did you know she could sing? <laughs> like, like that.
0: Yeah. Let's just hope that in it dropping out, it didn't um, lose everything that we just recorded <laughs> because... <laughs> I did, I'm still I did. I did say at I mean, the start of the episode that it was impossible to lose an episode, uh, and I hopefully look, Celia. But if you have, if this is the first bit of the podcast you're hearing, it's been a real journey. It's, it's been a real journey. I'm in mean a great mood.
1: Man. I was very sad. joy. Celia's yeah, yeah. in a
0: great mood now. Really if you just mood. tuned in, it's really good. Oh, I might be in a terrible mood if the first bit hasn't recorded, but hopefully it's all fine. Hopefully Are you in a bad, bad mood? Fun.
1: I always wonder, like all the dancing stuff. I don't know if that's boring, but for me, it's like it's made me feel really good. Just precious memories. It feels like such a long time ago, but it was so. It was real. It really happened.
0: And and you have this new skill. Like I mean, now you can dance. Oh, yeah. is dancing something that you oh, will no, incorporate no. into your life at all? Will you continue no, to I dance? Can't.
1: No, I can't dance. This is the thing. What do you mean? I I can dance. I can learn those dances with that guy, yeah. but now I can't do, I can't remember them. He could teach. My dream would be if Comedy Festival was happening, well, is, you know, at Hi-Fi, I refuse to call it Max Watts, at the club, at the Melbourne Comedy Festival club where they do, you know, lip sync battles and crazy late night shows, I would love to do like a lip sync battle but get Jared to, to choreograph something and come out and do. See, so, yeah, I'm all about surprising. Mm-hmm. I would love to come out and just be like, blam. So it looks like I'm going to do stand-up and then music starts or something and then we do some crazy dance. So if my new magic skill is to be able to sing, I would like to do something like that. So a big one-off, holy shits, shock everyone with my amazing pipes. But then having said that, maybe I would like, uh, when I think about like singers at festivals and stuff, it looks fun. Like if you could sing like having that many people,
0: you know. I like your element of surprise because this is one that appeals to me too because I think immediately being good at something else causes as many problems as it solves. You know, suddenly if you were the best singer in the world, don't you have a responsibility to be a singer now? I quite like being a comedian. I don't need to be a singer. It's actually a range of different problems. But the idea of being able to do everything really well once, I'd be totally fine with.
1: Yeah, You can play the drums
0: really well but once. You know, like somebody's doing Pick Phil Collins time. and you just get up on stage, you do the really cool drum bit from yeah. Phil Collins and then you never play yeah. drums again. I would be absolutely yeah. fine with that.
1: Wouldn't that be fun? Then everyone just gets a go. Yeah, if you get to feel like a fucking champion, just one time, just one time be the best at pole vaulting. Wouldn't that be cool? Just come out of the stands. Just run, run, run. Whew. <laughs> Just once. Gold oh, medal, yeah. thank you. you can't, like, I mean, just once.
0: Just, just once. once. This is all I've got. I can never pole vault again, <laughs> but I'd just like to be able to do it once.
1: Oh, my God. That would be such a great world because you could. Because you, there'd be people who would ration it. People would be like, got nothing left. They're like 35 and they've already used up all their stuff. I'm like, mate, you should have waited to play the violin. should have saved something. I'm like, nah, I just I went, went mad. I did it all. I did it all. Very cool.
0: um, Um, Yeah, singing. What would you? What do you miss the most? You know, being in a lockdown situation. Is there a thing that you miss the most?
1: I miss so. Stage three was fine. Hmm. I could have lived with stage three, which was a small amount of people you could see, and a small amount of things you could do, and that was fine. So I miss hanging out in person with a small amount of friends and a pub. Going to a pub and having a beer and a palmy and a pint with a couple of friends. I miss that. And also my boyfriend and my family. (laughs) 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 But pub first and then my boyfriend, my family. Like my sister, my niece and nephews, they're all growing up real quick, you know all that kind of stuff but yeah
0: how about you what don't you well for me i, I think there's certainly an element of that i'm pretty solitary in general so the whole yeah. idea of you know not seeing other people isn't something that particularly we were having this conversation the other night so uh we had some friends stay over we, we, we where i live it really is more like your stage three lockdown you can see some people yeah people pretty small don't take unnecessary risks and we have some close friends up here who are in our sort of like you know safe circle and they're also pretty covid safe as well so you know because you understand that once you have people stay or once you have dinner with people no matter how many precautions that you take there is going to be some non-covid safe safe like interaction so you almost have to completely trust the people that you're with that they Mm. have behaving are behaving well in their life as well and they have to trust that you're behaving well but then you've just got to assume that once you're all in the same space if someone's got something you're all going to get it right but we were talking about yep. the idea of, um, so that was lovely. We had like, you know, um, six people in total, small group of friends, you know, everyone crashed the night, like they helped us do some work around the house. It was, a you know, a really fun thing. But we had a lot of conversations around, you know, what's going on and, you know, various things. And one of the conversations we were having was around the idea of a silent retreat. And one of our friends was saying that was the thing that they could never imagine going to the idea of a silent retreat. The idea of not speaking, Um, you know, for 14 days was something that was incredibly, you know, like that idea was terrifying to them. Whereas, I've never done it, so I may be oversimplifying my reaction to it. But the idea that I didn't speak to anyone for 14 days, I reckon I would do that on my ear. I reckon I would go to one of those silent retreats and the monks would break their veil of silence to talk about how much I was nailing it first time. They'd be like, this guy is a natural. They'd constantly be coming out, are you sure you haven't done this before? Never done it before, mate. Like, just don't need to talk.
1: Wow. Really? Mm. I don't know. I think Judith Lucy did one of those. when on a camp, yeah. like on a meditation thing. I don't know because I'm currently trying to switch and are trying to see if I can get an exemption or whatever to try and get me to Perth, which would mean that the two weeks in hotel, which personally scares the shit out of me, just right now, mental, mental wise. But I don't know if that's about talking to people or that's just about the 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 trapped in not your environment. You know, there's a very different, I think being in your home and being in a hotel, in a quest. Um, But I don't know. I don't mean I miss, I miss seeing people's heads in 3D, you know.
0: So. um, (laughs) People's full heads. What don't you miss? What is an aspect of your life that went away because of this, that you would be glad if it didn't come back?
1: Um. I'm missing it again now. When it first started, I didn't miss the late nights, Mm -hmm. the gigs. Like I was going to bed at 9.30 being like, I wouldn't normally be on stage yet. This is fantastic. Um, But now I miss stand-up. Now I'm missing that part. It's getting getting a bit old. But um, I guess the handshake hug thing is good because it's always, as a female, it's always been an awkward thing. Like once I was in a room, I was the only woman and the, the big boss came in and, Handshake, 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 and then got to me, and it was this weird, awkward, we hug, kiss thing. So taking that out of the equation is is great. So I don't mind that not coming back.
0: Um, I must say that the, yes, the just contact with strangers that it's, yeah. it, it's suddenly you realize what a weird thing it is. Anyway, the idea that like you yeah. immediately are expected to touch a stranger, and I grew up like kissing women being taught that was what you did like it was the polite thing to do like and the amount of times Mm. over the years and I remember the period where suddenly you were like this seems strange and weird and then Mm. there was that real in-between of like some it's still being acceptable sometimes and then it not being acceptable other times this blanket rule of it's not acceptable at all i felt incredibly comfortable with I'm like that's fine let's just have a blanket rule that we don't do this anymore when we come out the other side of this we don't need to go back to that
1: no, and the kiss thing was always weird because sometimes it's like cheek to cheek, but then sometimes they turn and kiss. I, I don't know. The lip-cheek contact ratio, I don't understand the whole thing. Just check it out, doesn't it? Yeah, check know. it out. Done. It's either all or nothing. Don't bring it Your back. partner, it's tongues or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's either someone who puts their tongue in your mouth or they're two metres away. I
0: feel like that's simple. I think that's good. It's like, what? you know, let's have an exclusionary <laughs> zone around the mouth. Yeah for people who haven't been invited into the inner circle. I think that is totally acceptable. Um, What uh, have you seen (laughs) in the world that you have changed your opinion about? Because I think that in a time like this we, you know, see – you know, structures and institutions and things we've accepted as being normal for sometimes being incredibly abnormal. Is there anything about the broader society you've observed during this time that either has become more important or less important to you?
1: Oh, uh, two things. Right now, I mean, the overwhelming, just the anger and frustration at people being really selfish blows, blows my mind. Like, you know, not having having parties and just doing stuff that's really dangerous to the community for just because fuck it. Like there was a bunch of people who weren't following the rules, like going to work when they were tested positive and stuff. And you know Dan Andrews is saying yes, there definitely would be some people who were doing that because they needed the money. they needed mm-hmm. to go to work, and now they've put stuff in place so that they're getting money so they don't just work. And they're like, but there are other people who we don't know the reasons. And I was watching that going, yes, we do because they went fuck it. They went because I want to go to IKEA. Because I'm just gonna. Because I'm just gonna. And that, that I find really difficult to. Or just stuff. It's just shit to know that there's people like that doing that. But having said that, there's so all, also all of these amazing people who are going out of their way to put themselves at risk to help the community. So it balances out. But that's been real frustrating part of this. Also, I'm a real rule follower, so. <laughs> just like it just it it offends me um the other thing bigger just from this year is the way that i think about like race stuff like i've been trying to read more like it was really uh really really having to look at uh my privilege and looking at the the whole lens of uh uh white feminism privilege you know Mm -hmm. so i've been reading more about that and um in the industry, what we can do to help. I don't know if you saw it, Luke and I were on this panel with Josh Thomas where he said some unfortunate things, which was there's I won't go into there was a whole lot wrong with that panel, but um that just really made uh me think about my role in that and what I could be how that was a hurtful thing in being involved in that how that could have been handled better and how moving forward what to do and which we've taken the step of trying to actually do something proactive and create. Uh, We're going to do this workshop. Anyway, we're going to actually do things. So that's been a bigger focus this year. And um, as with Rosehaven, we're always trying to be more diverse and it's not as good as it could be, but we're trying to think it's better every time. But that's been something this year that's been something I'm trying to look at. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable and all of that, but important to well, try and So really...
0: dealing with difficult, uncomfortable things is both yeah. difficult and uncomfortable, you know, by the very nature of yeah. it, right? But <laughs> mm. it's interesting because, like, you know, obviously, uh, firstly, you know, I work in an industry that, you know, has been, you know, non-inviting for all sorts of, you know, minorities or majorities, you know, when it comes to female representation for, you know, internationally too. Not not an Australian problem. In fact, I think, you know, in some ways Australia, you know, has done better and in other ways has done equally bad as the rest of the world when it comes to, you know, inclusion in the comedy industry. It's a place where we often see one person you know, and how successful they've been as being an example of how the experience would be for everybody. You know, if you've got a couple of great, you know, female you know, stars, you go, oh, everything's fine in comedy with female representative or we've got a couple of big gay stars, everything's fine with, you know, being an inclusive place. Look at this, where clearly mm-hmm. when you hear the stories from those who have experienced not feeling at home in the industry, well, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, I obviously believe them. You know, so if I haven't seen it, it's because A, the system has been designed for me not to see it. And B, because I've done not enough work myself on working out A, to hear the stories, to understand them, and see what I could do about them. And, you know, that panel with Josh, like, yes, clearly there was a whole bunch of issues with that. You know, the fact that that was the panel in the first place was one of the issues with that. And you can't always rely on the people who've agreed to do the panel, um, you know, to make those decisions. But I think that increasingly we have to, in the same way as, you know, in the past, I just would never look at, well, not really look at, you know, a lineup that had, you know, six blokes and two women on it And you'd be like, oh, well, you know, they've got women on the lineup instead of going, hang on, Mm. that's still not proper representation, Mm. you know, of how a lineup should look. The idea that I would, you know, there'd be in the past, you'd appear on definitely all male lineups because that was just the way comedy was. There was more men doing comedy than Mm. there were women doing comedy. So it just was one of those things where the system itself was set up for you not to realize what the flaws in the system are. But once you know, you can't pretend. That you don't know then you have a decision about what do we do with this information do i pretend that it was never a problem or do i go through that you know difficult and hard conversation around when was i naive when was i stupid when i do i behave inappropriately and how can we redress those in our industry going forward and the problem is that that's really awkward and hard and confronting to look at shit you fucked up yourself or look at stuff that was Mm. being fucked up around you that you just didn't see for whatever reason. So when something like that comes up from the past, and I thought that Josh, you know, really, I thought he handled it the best he possibly could have handled it. He understand why people were hurt. He didn't try to argue around it or make excuses or clarify. He, you know, he understood the hurt that people were caused, even, you know, just with the clip that they'd seen. He, you know, seems to have really gone out of his way to understand and address You know what was problematic about what he said suddenly you guys are also in a clip that's mostly focused around him but you're there yeah you're sitting there on that panel as well what what were your instincts around that moment you know it would have come out of the blue for you like i can't can't imagine that you got like a warning that suddenly you're going to be in the middle of something that everybody's talking about
1: yeah no i just woke up to i think it was a message from someone i don't know and i just with some weird tweets and i'm like what what is happening what is this about um I, you know, hadn't really. It was. I just felt sick. Like, it's terrible. You know, you're just like, what? what is this thing? I didn't even remember that talking about. The panel was about. It was. Luke and I did. We, we'd written one season uh, and we did it because we wanted to meet Dan Harmon because we we're mm. both fans <laughs> of Luke and Morty, right? right. And we thought it was about script writing. So it was never. It was not a panel about representation. That just happened. And then there was other. And Gretel Colleen was chairing it, and it was anyway, so but but it it was this this weird there's a there was an element of self-preservation, like, what have I done? have I fucked? have I fucked? what have you know, And then what should have been first, but it came very quickly after is, oh, this is why is this bad, and what does this actually mean to real people? So what was incredible was I got an email from a man for a writer uh, who I'd worked with once. That was so kind because he was like, "I'm prepared to talk to you about this, to to because I get the feeling that you feel uncomfortable about it and and would like to help, you know." Because I'd, I'd I'd met him doing a, a film about um, marriage equality or something. He's like, "If you want, I'm here if you want to talk about it." And so I called him and had a very uncomfortable conversation where he told me why it was hurtful and and I listened to that, which I should. And listen to that and then was like I talked about ways to move forward which was in his mind just actually doing tangible stuff like it's very well to feel sorry but like what can you do things like maybe having a quota or going I'm not going to be involved in a project if there's not this level of diversity or this kind of stuff which I just thought was so kind of him he didn't need to he could have just been like fuck you you know you piece of shit whereas he reached out to me in a really. You know, patient, kind, understanding way, and from that something positive came. Like I like that I've got a line to him now, and from that, Luke and I have decided to try and do a program that might help in some way. Have a bit more diversity in the industry. So it it sucked, but it was good that it sucked. Like I feel like in a better place, and I feel like it wouldn't have that wouldn't happen now, or I would behave very differently now. Um, but and now I'm comfortable with where I'm at with it now. Like Luke and I didn't put out an apology. I didn't. We just we, we we're one of those things where we're like, do people really want to hear from us? And we thought we decided that it's we'd rather do stuff, just do it, just get on with it and do it. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, so I'm trying obviously, but I, I'm it's uh, that's been a, another thing this year. <laughs> do you remember that? Do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember that also during this year? Well, that's, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is also
0: part of it is that the nature of the new cycle moves on so quickly now that I, I don't mm-hmm. think people would even remember necessarily what happened. And so the idea of instituting some actual change behind the scenes, like to do something tangible, not just wait for the circus to move on, but actually do something to address it. And I think this is something that I constantly think about because you look back at over the mistakes that have been made you know in our industry over the years and often it can almost stymie you by just thinking what you know some I used to love comedy so much and of course as you spend so much time around it you can can still see all the amazing things about it but you become more and more aware of some of the horrible things about it as well and feel an incredible Mm. amount of guilt over ways you might have behaved but not just how you've behaved but just things that you were blind to sometimes for good reasons, not because you were necessarily intentionally trying to be blind to them, but you just didn't move in that circle or you weren't in that environment or, you know, you just didn't have the right context to be hearing the stories. Or perhaps you didn't want to hear the stories, so you didn't bring up the conversations. You know, all these things that you have to process and think, well, our our industry is in, you know, both a really great and a really like, I think it's there has never been a better time for diverse voices in the comedy industry. But at the same time, that's coming with a reconciling of some of the incredible damage that has been done to get us to this point. And you're like, well, I want to be part of this community. I want this community to be something that I am proud of. And unfortunately, that's just going to mean that we're going to have to do some hard work along the way. So I'd love to talk to you about the idea of um, the nature of, A pathway out of the bad into the good. And in general, in our society, you know, I don't think it does anyone any good to cancel Josh Thomas based on, you know, what happened. You know, having a pathway forward for people to make mistakes and then, I guess, you know, genuinely, you know, apologize for, understand why the mistake was made and then become different. It's a very long winded way of me saying, you know how do you feel about our capacity for forward momentum?
1: I think I was very lucky that this man handled it that way. like that's a the being a bigger person to not if you were hurt because he was hurt, you know if you if you are the hurt, if you are the hurt person to have to <laughs> go to the person who hurt you with kindness is huge, you know, um, but it did lead to rather than, I, I don't know, I felt that approach really worked in this situation. I don't know, everything's, it's always different, but and it's not fixed or anything like that. And, you know, some people might have felt better by being saying it in an angry way. I don't know, I just felt that that, that really worked. That was a opening a line of conversation with someone who had hurt you to try and have a positive outcome from it was was amazing. So I'll definitely have that in mind next time if there's someone who, you know, going with the plan as well rather than just you've hurt me, go, right, you've hurt me, this is apologies great but also this is something you can do, which was what they mentioned about Josh's apology, which was I thought a good apology. Well, I mean it's not apologizing to me but also could have followed up with these are the things that I'm going to change rather than just I'm going to try and be better at like how let's have some what What are we actually doing here
0: and I think that's um, important what you're saying is that is the what are we actually going to do and I think that's what I'm thinking yeah. about a lot at the moment is how do we practically you know change out well, so that it is
1: I don't know well we don't have an industry right now. Right. Comedy, I mean, this was this was for, so this was more sort of, te- you know, t- television write, writing and writing stuff. So we're going to try and do some, you know, what we can do. Luke and I'm like, right, well, we're in a position where we've got a television show and this much experience. So at the very least we can give experience and our, you know, that kind of stuff. But with comedy, I don't know. I don't know. Again, this is probably not a conversation for us to be having for, as you know, I don't know. Um, I got Well, I think, yeah,
0: I don't know. Like I I know what you mean. (laughs) Like I absolutely know what you mean about is it a conversation (sighs) that we should be having. But what I think I look back on you, the idea that part of us not having the conversation has been what has allowed the conversation to not be had, Mm -hmm. you know, in the mainstream of the industry. And so I do think that there is some value in, you know, know, trying to for everybody to be having the conversation. Mm. It shouldn't just be the people who are affected by things who have to have the conversation. It should be the people who aren't affected by the things who are also having the conversation. At least if the, the conversation shouldn't be, mm. hey, I know better about how to fix this because clearly I don't. Mm. Like, But the conversation should be around, we should be listening to these people and their experiences and taking them as valid and then seeing how we can move forward from that. Which I think really more than anything is what you are saying about what you went through anyway
1: yeah it's finding tangible ways to try and make it better it's all very well for me to know that in the future I wouldn't do that again so that's something Mm -hmm. that's still something that I'd behave differently and I probably wouldn't be in that position but more than that just looking at what you can do in your position everyone can do something little whether it's you know calling out at a barbecue, not laughing at some joke that is offensive or whatever, you know, even if it's something as little as that, it's all these little things that make a change, you know, that just make the change. There's things that aren't appropriate to say anymore because that would have started somewhere that, that, that it went, you know, and and there are ways that are that you just can't behave, that you don't behave anymore that have become unacceptable and there's, I don't know, I think it's just trying to be more vigilant in your own behaviors and aware of what you're doing which is difficult I mean I'm going to get off this phone call I swear and spend the rest of the day being completely paranoid about Oh, absolutely! <laughs> about I, I, that, what I've that, said that I and how it's come because yeah,
0: this that is why I don't I understand doubt it all that like, oh, that's
1: what you're like
0: all the time you did that last time you you, you, you basically messaged me 15 times to say that it was all been terrible and it was great and I have prepared, you know, the idea that you'll probably do that after this one as well, particularly because occasionally we've talked about some things that are not comfortable and we haven't said, you know, everything in the perfect way. But I don't mind that. This is what I think people who listen to this show understand that this show is about working things out and having conversations that aren't, Necessarily quotable moments. It's dealing with things that have a lot of gray area and trying to work our way through them.
1: Yeah. But that's what's scary is you have a conversation that doesn't, isn't necessarily quotable, but can still be quoted. That's, that's my fear is that I'll say something and I know that my intention was weird, but looking at it written down, you're like, what the fuck did she say? Which is why I'd love stand up because I'm not an improviser, <laughs> which is, you know, there can be interwoven in the same thing but the way I do it is I get my thoughts in order and I put them down and then I present them and I'm comfortable doing that because I go I know what I'm trying to say and that so I get paranoid but I, I appreciate that and I understand that most people listening will, will will uh you know can tell what you're trying to say and we're done with intent there's that thing you know when people say like if you if you always tell the truth you never have to worry about your memory what's that thing you don't have to remember yeah. So that, yeah, that's kind of, of yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's sort of anything I say is is seems like what I'm, but you know, at at the time is um, I'm never, I'm not lying, but I might say things that are later. And also, having the being able to change your mind is important. Sometimes you just say stuff, and then you look back and you go, well, that was that's not what I meant at all. But I know why what i was trying to say
0: or or sometimes it's what that is what i meant except now i have all this the world has changed or i have all this new and different and information different and, and now way. i have a different opinion and i think that that is a wonderful thing to embrace and the idea that these conversations mm-hmm. are hard to have is a wonderful thing to embrace and the idea that we don't always have the perfect solution or the perfect words is sometimes we hold back on having the conversation until we have the perfect words whereas it's important to have the mm. conversation so that we can find the perfect words
1: yeah because yeah you know all that stuff came out about yeah the women in comedy as well this year in America and for like for me it's it's weird it's a combination of things one of the big things is I have a terrible memory <laughs> of <laughs> individual instances um but also there really was a vibe of you just sort of get on with it like you just sort of get through it and you're not as keen looking at it as what it is, which is also ties into the fact that Looking back, I now realise I have a, I do have a history of emotional abuse in my family and in relationships that I think I've also done that with a lot of stuff in stand-up, whereas in the time you just get through it and you're like, that's fine, this is just, this is what it is and then it's looking back, you're like, oh, actually, that was probably not, really not cool. Um, so, and then you feel sort of complicit with it because you're like, because I didn't, because you don't. It's very complicated, but um, it is good that it is being called out because it's a it can be a very dangerous environment. Um, so I would love it to be. It should be a place of joy and a place of creativity and a place of power for everyone who wants to be involved in it. Um, and I can't wait for it to come back. <laughs>
0: It's funny, I, I, you know, I think that part of the reason I've so constantly done stand-up over the years is that I had a suspicion that when I stopped, I wouldn't want to start again. And I think that at the moment, and again, this is, you know, you ask me tomorrow and I might have a completely different answer about it, but I just... I loved the first part of this year. I, I'd had a, like I hadn't done that much stand up in the previous year. This was all going to be about stand up. I was having amazing shows, having the best time. But having stopped again, there is a part of me that, and I don't know whether it's just self protection. But has like my brain has really got its mind around. I've, my body's better for not traveling. I, I like mm. not being away from home as much. Like I do find stand-up an incredibly emotional thing. Like there's nothing else in my life that traumatizes me in the way that you know, getting the show together, the stress of getting the show together and then the stress of doing it every night. like, Suddenly the Mm -hmm. most stressful thing that I do in my life and that, you know, I do on on purpose that I've chosen to do, but by far and away the most stressful thing. And, you know, that really probably stresses my body and my brain for nine out of every 12 months minimum for the last 25 years is completely gone away. And it's only now that it's completely gone away that I've just realized that an incredible weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And and (laughs) there is a part of me that's just like, I mean, it's the only thing I know how to do. So if it comes back, I'm definitely (laughs) going to go back and do it because I have no (laughs) other skills that can earn me that sort of money. And I'm sure once I'm doing it again, I will love it again. And I still love it. I mean, obviously the reason that I want it to be a great place for everybody is that I love it. But there's another part of it just – It is a great weight off my shoulders at the moment not to be doing it.
1: Yeah, I do feel that as well. Like as much as I love it, I've sometimes been, I've actually said to myself, I should not be this scared of my own job. I should not be physically scared of my job sometimes, (laughs) which is not. (laughs) Um, And there's always been a time where I thought maybe, you know, when you think of like when people tell their whole life from the end backwards, Um, Mm -hmm. that I'd go and then I did stand-up for about 10 years. Like I thought I did think maybe it would be a bit of my life but I could never imagine quitting because it's so what I've identified at like it's so much a big part of where I get all of my self-worth. But same, for me it's been six months since a gig Uh, and then before that I hadn't done a show for a year because we'd been doing Rosehaven stuff so maybe it is, maybe I can survive without it. But I do. I think that's also why I was so keen to do that gig last week to just see. I just wanted to see what that, what it, what it felt like, what it felt like to go back. So I don't, I don't know, but I, I'm not, I'm not done, particularly because it's just, just talking to people, you know, getting just, I think just being in a, maybe I just miss being in a room with people. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it.
0: Um, we should finish up. Thank you so much for doing this. I believe oh, that it's all, I believe it's all taped. I think so. I hope- Oh my I think God, it's all taped. Know. I've got a little message down the bottom that says it's all taped. I have a final question that I ask people. Uh, I have a time machine. I have a return trip on a time machine that I can offer you. Um, mm-hmm. You can go to any point in history, any point in the future. You can go to a point in your own life, observe it, or change it, or just go to somewhere and history or the future you don't have to do any of the big stuff like as in this is personal indulgence No, kill hitler. you don't have oh, to okay. go back and kill baby hitler essentially i'm going to send someone back to do that who's more trained and won't have to live with the fact that they killed a baby for the rest of their life like you can just go and do something that you want to do what will you do
1: um <laughs> oh shit i would go back at some point and meet rick male ah. i wanted to meet rick Mail so bad i'm so sad that he's died he was my first memory of comedy and I, I wish I'd I young got ones? so close.
0: Was it Young Ones or was it no, something else? It
1: was. It was called Grim Tales and it was oh, him. Yeah? It was on the ABC and then I used to rent to the VHS. It was him sitting in a big armchair reading fractured fairy tales and doing stupid voices and making faces. And I wanted him to be my dad. And then I just I I, I was going to, my first instinct was to go back and somehow engineer it. So I married David Tennant, but that seemed too silly. But I think I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather have met Rick Mail. But yeah, I got really close. Like he was working with people I knew, like it was only a few steps away and then he, and then he passed away.
0: Oh, well, that's a like a, I made myself was a again. <laughs> yeah, sad real journey this one.
1: Um,
0: no, I never met him either, but yeah, a comedy legend, just one of those people that i I was surprised at how sad I was when he died. Like it was yeah. one of those things where I was like, oh, uh, yeah, and it was it would have been young ones for me. I remember I have yeah. memories of sitting up with my mum watching the young ones on the ABC and knowing that it wasn't something that I really was meant to be watching yet and that made it obviously all the more exciting. So there is a level of affection that I have for him and that show and the people who are on that show that I've probably carried right through the rest of my life. Uh, All right, I'm going to push stop and I'm going to see – Thank you for doing this, by the way. What can we plug? I'll oh, do mate. plugs at the top. Rose Haven, obviously. But what else can I plug? Have you got something? Oh, your, your, your Amazon special? Your, your stand-up special? Oh, I was yeah, in sure. The, doesn't bother me. I was me. in the audience of your stand-up special. Uh, so I, I saw it live. I was there that night. It is currently available on Amazon Prime, I believe. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, normally I'd go, I don't care. Watch it, don't watch it. doesn't bother me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I i don't know how many people watch it. But actually it's it's got quite a focus on uh, mental health in that one. So like trigger warning for that but also it might be good if, if you you know if you want to it's got stuff about that in there it's an incredible might be good or bad so it's either warning do not watch it or if if you're interested in that then do watch it's it it's an incredible performance that's
0: what i will say like i mean it's a great show but i watched a bunch of shows recorded that week and they were all amazing but all amazing in different mm. ways you know that's the mm. one of the things that i love about comedy and It's actually very rare that you see it in a controlled environment because you'll go and see Edo's show or your show, but they'll be in different theatres, different spaces, Mm -hmm. different nights. I, in a week, went and saw, you know, your show and Alice's show and Judith's show and Zoe's show and got to see them all in this same environment. And they were all amazing, all amazing. But it really drew a contrast just between. And this is like, I mean, I loved Edo's show, for example, absolutely hilarious, but Edo's style is so it's not a you know hers is in a lot of in the moment and the idea i imagine she's a bit like me that idea of recording one version of the show that you can put to tape and then this is the version of the show that's why in you know 25 shows or 26 shows i've done there's only three of them that you can see on tape because i find the idea of putting down a this is the version of the show show Mm -hmm. overwhelming because my show is Mm. normally just so different from night to night. I just don't feel like Mm. I can ever replicate that idea of what it's like to see one of my shows. Edo, I think, Mm. you know, in her performance, she's a bit like that. Whereas the thing that I was just completely blown away with yours is it was the most perfect performance of the week. It yeah. felt like every line was right, every look was right. Did it feel like that on the night? Did you feel like you were in the zone doing this show?
1: Not really. It was weird because I hadn't done it for a long time. Mm-hmm. But this is the show that I'd been campaigning to get filmed as soon as we've I did it in Melbourne, because it is very much of its time. And the further it got away from it, um, the harder it was gonna be for me to bring it back performance-wise, and also the one that was really proud of like the content I wanted out there. Like I wanted people to be able to see it who didn't happen to be there. Um, there's a lot of pressure on it being just one-off. Like One-off. I think still I changed it a bit and <laughs> what was really stressful was in the green room, like in my dressing room, Tom Walker's was being recorded before mine and you can't turn the speakers off. So I had to listen, and Tom Walker's show is a lot of mime. So I couldn't yeah. hear anything except applause breaks. It was just an hour of applause, of hysterical laughter and applause. And there's nothing that you want to, f- and I was nothing you want to go on uh, here before you do a show than someone else doing really, really well. <laughs> and I had to sit there and listen to these applause break, applause break, applause break, and not knowing what he was doing. I fucking mime. I couldn't, but I couldn't see, I couldn't hear, it wasn't saying anything. It was just laughter and applause, laughter and applause. I'm like, fuck. Um, but I had a good time. I was just happy that it was being taped. I was really happy. That the theatre looked, you know, beautiful. Um, it wasn't the funnest time I've ever done it, you know, because it, knowing it's films puts extra pressure on it so you can't sort of fuck about and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I was, I was happy with it.
0: Yeah. yeah you know well as a performance level it's just it's it was incredible oh. it was it was like watching somebody who tra- for me it was like watching it felt like watching like an olympics diver or gymnast or something who'd been practicing <laughs> a routine for four years and then they just go oh out and God. they just absolutely nail every moment of it because i I'd, I'd seen the show yeah. before in fact i'd seen the show several yeah. times because we would shared yeah. a venue and so i'd seen yeah. you know bits and pieces of the show several times so but just to sit there and watch it i was just like gee she is really you gave me
1: fart attack how did i not think of that <laughs> how did i it's kicking myself outrageous You'll have to watch it now you gotta know what fart attack is about <laughs> it's a kind of caliber of comedy um well, that's that is very that is very very kind will i appreciate that it's coming from you i really really do
0: okay we're done i'm gonna push stop.